Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a very special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, you know, it is my honor, you know, to be interviewing, you know, these two writers, Richard Arndt and Steve Fears. They are here to promote their new book, Our Artists at War, the best of the best American war comics. And it's from Tomorrow's Publishing. Now the previews code, and I hope I got this right, it's JUL212065. Now I know this book in, uh, if I remember correctly, I think this book is supposed to be coming out sometime in, maybe sometime in October or early November. Um, let's see. Um, Richard and Steve, how are you guys doing today? Just I'm fine. Good. I'm doing good. Richard, how about you? I'm doing fine also. All right. He's uh, clear no, you know, Nevada and I'm here in Oklahoma. <laughs> All right. No, thank you very much, guys. Okay. Now, before I begin, I want to, and before I get started to go over Richard and Steve's history, um, I did not plan this. It must have been by fate. Um, but today is September 18th, and it is Joe Kubert's birthday. Oh, no. I didn't remember. Oh, that's fortuitous. Yes. I hope, says he did the cover for the book. <laughs> yes. So I just thought that was very incredible, and I just want to point that out to listeners. Oh, he's always been one of my favorite artists. Oh, yes, yes. Mine as well. All right, so I'm going to, so Richard, I'm going to give a little bit of history um, history of your work. So Richard, you have done, and Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, you have done the Star Reach Companion. Um, from, it's from Tomorrow's Publishing that was published back in 2013. Yes, um, you've um, done now another book called Horror Comics in Black and White: A History and Catalog. It's from the time period of 1964 to 2004. And that's from the McFarlane and Company. And that was published back in 2013. Okay. And then uh, I know also too, Richard, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you also have done um, a book of poetry. That, um, and it's called On Lazy Man Hill. That was published in 1999. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And then if people are interested, they can, if people are interested, if listeners are interested in checking that poetry book out, um, where can they get that from? Uh, well, they, uh, it's, it's, you know, long out of print as far as bookstores go, but you, they can get a copy. I still have copies. And if they're interested, they can look up my name, Richard Arndt, on Facebook and send me a message. Okay. All right, I'll Richard. Get okay. And then Richard, I'm going to continue on. Okay. Now you... You know, you've done a hundred of interviews and articles for tomorrow's books. Um, some of them, you know, are war related. Now, currently, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're, there's a back issue um, magazine issue that's going to be either, it's either out in stores or coming out very soon. And it's going to be on Jack Kirby's Black Magic and Boy Commando's uh, revival um, in the 70s. Is that correct? Yes, that'll be back issue 131, supposed to come out next month. Oh, okay. And then also, too, you've also, you've also written for Alter Ego magazine, and, that, um, and you wrote um, a nearly a magazine-length piece 
on legendary artist, and I'm going to try to pronounce the artist's name correctly as best I can, Alfredo Alacala. Is that correct? Alcala. Alcala. And then for for younger listeners, I remember Alfred's work when he did Conan. Is that correct? Yes, but he also had a long career in the Philippines, nearly a 25-year career that has that almost no one in the United States has seen the artwork for, which with this will have a lot of his artwork from that period. Okay. I'm going to ask for that, that alter ego issue. Is that already, has that already been out or is it going to be coming out? No, it's coming out again next month. It's issue 172. Okay. All right. Next month being October of 2021. Okay. All right. Also, and then also in the comic book creator, you have a regular column and it's called Graphic Novels in the Library. Is that correct? Yes, it appears every issue. Okay. And then, um, Richard, did I miss anything? I don't believe so. I think that covers me. Okay. Now, Steve, um, I'm going to go over your works. And like I said, please correct me if I'm wrong. Now, one of the things that I came across is that you and Richard wrote a tribute to Sam Glasman in Alter Ego Magazine issue 152 from tomorrow's publishing that was back in 2017 it was titled um last of the lions yes okay and then also to steve you have you have a incredible um list of um works um and correct me if i'm wrong so okay you've contributed to the following the overstreet's gold and silver quarterly yes some year many years ago Okay. Comic book marketplace. Uh, yes, I did a few things for that magazine. Okay. And then you've done, um, you've also contributed to Alter Eagle magazine. Yes. Mm-hmm. You've worked with the late, I'm going to try to pronounce his name, the late Billy Shelley. Is that correct? Yes, Bill Shelley. Yes. So for listeners, you know, Mr. Shelley and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Mr. Shelley was an Eisner award-winning author who chronicled the history of comic books and comic book fandom. And he also wrote a few biographies um, on Joe Kubert and Harvey Kurtzman. Yes. Okay. And then also too, um, you can, now correct me if I'm wrong, you contribute to um, the, um, this incredible book, We Spoke Out, Comic yes. Books and the Holocaust. And that's from Yo Books, that was published back in 2018. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then you've also contributed to the Sam Glasman collections. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. I uh, actually had some of his unpublished artwork and was able to uh, loan those to uh, the uh, Dover Books so they could publish a, that uh, one of the stories for the first time. Wow. That's incredible. Um. Also, too, I'm going to, you've also, um, you've interviewed legendary artists such as Russ Heath and Dick Ayers for the comic book buyer's guide, or the comics buyer's guide, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. And then also you did self-publishing, you self-published two magazines in CD form. um, Yes. Is the first one called Panel Graphic? Panel, well, yeah, well, one was uh, uh, Mastermind, yes. which is actually was a revival of an old fanzine from many, many, 
back years ago, back in the 60s. Uh -huh. and the other one was panelography. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, it doesn't roll off the tongue that easily. <laughs> don't worry. I, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, sorry about that. But thank you for, um, thank you for the uh, correct pronunciation. But for those, for those, for those magazines, you've interviewed Rick Estrada. Yes. Dean Colin, Mark Drucker, um, just to name a few. Yes. Jerry Grandinetti. Okay. Yes. And then also to you, now you're also a member of the Big Five Collections and you also contribute to the Big Five Information Guide. Is that correct? Yes, Chris Pedrin. And I know uh, Richard, you know, has a copy of that with also. I'm pretty sure you do, don't you, Richard? Yes, I do. It's okay. one of the best reference books I've got on war. Oh, it's indispensable and it is very hard to find these oh. days. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I contributed some information to that and just the uh, big five collectors and through them, uh, I think we connected to Richard. Uh, Richard connected to us and I think I'm correct there. Actually, I bought some of his panology, panelology books. Yeah. And that's how I first became acquainted with him. But it took a couple of years after that. Well, it took a number of years after that for us to actually become acquainted. Yes. Mm. Okay. Uh, thank um, goodness for emails and, you know, and things like that. And, and, and a common love of uh, the DC war comics to start with. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, before I, now, Steve, did I miss anything? Uh, no, that's pretty it. You know, I'm sure there's a, few things here and there as far as who I've contributed to I've done you know contributed scans of a lot of covers and artwork and uh, you know for some of those uh, Bill Shelley's books and a few other people too so it's just like I said of kind of kind of background kind of stuff to help help out some of those you know books and and, and things. I think it should also be noted that he probably did 80% of the scans on our book as well. <laughs> okay. Yes. That was extremely helpful. I don't think I contributed nearly as much, but. Oh, well, I, I was just lucky to scan. have all those things. All right. Now, before we get started in the interview, um, I want to give a big shout out to John Morrow of Tomorrow's Publishing. Oh, series. yes. He was the one who helped coordinate this interview. So John, thank you very much. Um, Richard, Steve, do you guys wanna give a shout out to John or add anything to that? Well, we uh, know for myself and you know, I won't speak for Richard, but I'm very appreciative of uh, him uh, liking our book, you know, and having enough faith to wanna publish it. it the, the acceptance of the book was delayed for over a year because of COVID and mm -hmm. because everybody had to shut down, yeah. including John, his entire outfit shut down. So he wasn't going to, he couldn't make any guarantees because I, I think I only broached the idea with him a couple of, about a month before COVID came. And, and so it was delayed for well over a year, but once he made his mind up, it was like that. And mm -hmm. he wanted right away and i appreciated that because that's that's someone who's enthusiastic about you what you're working on and that's a nice thing to know before mm -hmm. you even got into the 
he made some nice, uh, he also changed our title. He was the one who provided the title we're using because our original title was The Real Big Five. Uh-huh. And he came up with a better title, which I have no problem with whatsoever. So, yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. another thing that might be of interest is that we have a Joe Kubert original piece of art of Joe Kubert's that was never published. Mm -hmm. It was done in 1964 for what was supposed to be a G.I. Joe comic uh -huh. that never got off the ground. And that was supposed to be the cover for the first one. And that was, uh, John got it that from uh, John Cook, who's the editor of Comic Book Creator. And they, they both, everybody was helping out on this. It was a very nice, welcome, friendly thing that it all came together very, very quickly and very nicely, I think. I love the cover and I love the way that they worked on it and made it look really snazzy. So. Oh, yes. Uh, I just, a shout out to, uh, you know, the designer uh, of, of the book too. just, uh, I think saw things in it that we hadn't envisioned yet. And uh, I think everyone, when they see the book will be very pleased with it, but uh, he, he arranged all the elements on the cover and it just looks spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just the cover, the interior oh, pages right. have art design all through them and they look really nice. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a, like I said, it, it, I, I, I know we didn't envision just how each page would lay out as you turn to read or look at the, the artwork, but, uh, oh, it turned out so much better than I even thought it would. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I think Richard and I are both very, very pleased with, uh, the, with how it all turned out. So our shout out isn't just to John Morrow's, yeah. but to everybody who worked on the book. Oh, yeah. this yeah. one Because they all did and came through with some really nice stuff, which we might, would not have had access to mm -hmm. in many cases. So thank you, everybody. Yes. Um, I have to say that that's really nice that John, because the title, the title, you know, our artists at war, it, what when I heard about the title, I'm sorry, I'm kind of um, kind of going off a little bit, and I'll get back to the questions, because all I remember was that that nice little trade paperback. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was from I think the late '70s. Our Army at War, the DC trade with like um, the um, like of course Sergeant Rock, you know. Um, that was the Fireside book, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was a it was a compilation of their best works. Yes, at oh. that point in time. Let me interject real quick. The uh, designer of our book is Scott Saadvedra. Hope I'm saying that right. And a big shout out to him. Yes, mm -hmm. and he was he was in communication with us quite frequently while yes. he was working on it, and that was enormously helpful. Mm -hmm. so. Allowing us to have our input on his work. I think, even though I don't know if we had that make big of an impact on his work, no. it was nice to be considered. That is not that does not always happen in publishing. So. I'm sure, he had to do with you know with the cover layout and the the lettering logo and all that. I mean, he really came through and working with John, and you know, uh, uh, it just surprised us, you know, in a good way. Mm -hmm. So. So anyway, I just wanted to interject that. No, that's fine. That's fine. No. Um, now, before I start getting to the meat and potatoes of the interview, um, I also want to give a couple shout outs. I want to give a shout out to um, Micro 
Michael Cronenberg and also John Suntress of Word Balloon. Now, Michael, I know, um, I know he works for um, Ringside Magazine. Um, I just want to give a big shout out to um, Michael and John because this is how I found out about your guys' book. I saw it on Twitter. They you know, they're retweeting this. So that's how I knew I, I heard about your guys' book and I was going, I, I need to talk to you guys. So, yeah. Well, so, thank them from us too, because yeah, I like yeah, the idea yeah. of us being out on Twitter since I'm not a Twitter person whatsoever. So. Uh, nor am I. <laughs> I'm barely Facebook. Let me say that. <laughs> Now, before I continue, I'm going to ask, I'm just going to ask, since we're kind of going over the social media stuff, Richard, where can listeners follow you? Uh, they can go on Facebook and pull my name up. It's Richard Arndt, and it would be the Nevada address. The Nevada address should pull up, and that's there. I know there are a number of Richard Arndt's on Facebook, surprisingly, because <laughs> I don't think that's a common name. But um, If they look for one that's in Nevada, that would be me. Okay. I look like Michael Douglas. <laughs> In Ant-Man. Okay. I that a lot. <laughs> and Steve, what about you? Uh, I do have a Facebook page, which uh, is probably under Stephen, or it might be under my first name, George Fears. So, okay. uh, but I'm, like I said, I'm not a big Facebook person. I'm, I'm more of a, I'll wish people happy birthday on their Facebook page. And, you know, I'll look at mine occasionally, but I did, you know, in all defense of, you know, Facebook, I uh, went ahead and I know Richard did too. We both put up the images of, of our book so people could see it and, you know, it would go out to not only our friends, but other people maybe be picked up and, and, and uh, you know, echoed, you know, through other, you know, people you know that are on facebook so and as we, to, as we get closer to publication day i have my family and everybody they know prime to put the book image up on facebook and up on twitter and up on any other social organization and say spread this around as much as you can because mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what you really have to do nowadays is yes. provide much of the advertising as you can yourself oh yes and uh, that's, that's why we appreciate what you're doing right now. Right. That's exactly what you're doing at this particular moment, too. Oh, and you were talking earlier about the publication date. Mm -hmm. I believe it's the 19th is what I have down, October 19th. Oh, okay. Or tomorrow's. But fate, but uh, Amazon is putting it out November 2nd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A number of comic book companies are putting it out on the 19th or 20th. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a a little bit of difference in what date it goes on sale. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, but I think we're having, you know, it's being, uh, I believe, and Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's being printed in, in China. So it will well, be I'm sure it is, yes. coming by ship, you know, so, and I know there's a real backlog of, you know, of ships, you know, off the West coast and getting through, you know, port of entry and customs and everything else. So, so all of that understand, things are delayed. Yeah. So we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed that it shows up when it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. Well, Richard and Steven, you know, like I said, you know, just thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys, you know, about, you know, um, 
about you know um, war comics. I mean, I I, can, I only can speak for myself, and I know, and I pretty much know there's probably like, and I'm sure there's a lot of other old. I'm gonna say old readers, longtime readers, you know, that remember reading Sergeant Rock comics, the DC War comics, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Charleston comics. So just, you know, again, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to interview guys. Okay, so I'm gonna start to, um, I'm gonna start asking, where did you guys grow up? Oh, Richard, you wanna go first? No, you go ahead and I'll come in. <laughs> I've been going first too many times already. Oh. Actually, I'm, like I said, I, I live in Oklahoma City. Uh, I grew up here, and then there's a town north of Oklahoma City called Edmond, where mm-hmm. I moved to when I was probably in about the third or fourth grade. And that's mainly where I grew up. But uh, we had good drug stores that had nice spinner racks that uh, sold all the comics. And uh, I actually kind of lived uh, out in the country just a little bit, but I had a bicycle. and you know, and a little money in my pocket, and I could, uh, you know, I remember buying, you know, all the amazing fantasy, you know, especially when Spider-Man first came out, and and I'd buy the DC War comics and their and their science fiction comics. I mean, Adam Strange was always one of my favorites, so and the Flash, of course, and you know, Justice League, and so there's just, uh, and then all the Marvel monster comics and then uh you know all of a sudden you know fantastic four showed up on on the spinner rack so you know i became a marvel fan at that point too so and i guess we were very lucky in the amount of comic books we that were available back then you know i mean the war comics are always my first love but then the science fiction and then the superhero i mean Oh, I mean, every every week there was always something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, and, you know, growing up, I just, you know, I think my first comic book I ever bought was uh, Uncle Scrooge number 11. So, uh, you know, that was, you know, the great Carl Barks, although we didn't know it was him back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but then I started noticing artwork like by Joe Kubert and Russ Heath and, and then, and then, all, you know, the uh, Dell War comics with Sam Glansman's work. And uh, just, you start expanding your uh, reading, you know, subjects, you know, around that time. So, uh, you know, being 12 years old and all those comics, you know, it was just amazing back then. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I've always been a, I've been a fan ever since, never Never thought about, you know, giving them up or quit reading them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Richard? Um, I grew up in Michigan, uh, Big Rapids area, about 50 miles north of Grand Rapids. I lived there for the, my first 22 years, and then I moved out west and haven't really looked back too much except for a short period. Uh, I got started in comics pretty much the same way that Steve did, I guess. Um, we had drugstores, Rexall drugstores, I remember in particular, had a good spinner section and a good black and white magazine section. And then there was a big drugstore across town by the Kroger store that had every comic book you could ask for for one week. And if you didn't get it that week, it was gone the next week. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that was common back then. And then across from my grandfather's, there was a store, a Hall's grocery store. And on the window, I don't know if I should say this the way it is, but it, on the window, they had um, three comics for a quarter with the top half of the cover cut off. <laughs> These were illegal comics, which I didn't know at the time. They were stolen from, they were sold by the distributor illegally to stores to uh, make some money that they didn't have to report back to anybody. Yes. And the weird thing is those comics were sitting there and in between, next to them on this big long shelf was a row of coverless paperbacks from exactly the same reason. Mm -hmm. And right next to that was the porn aisle. Yes. Where they had all the porn books with the covers on them, wrapped in plastic so you couldn't read them. But any kid who was up there was looking at them because they were drawn exactly the same way as a black and white comic was. Mm -hmm. Often by the same artist. So yeah. you know, it was an education and a fun, fun to pick out the comics, but an education to walk over there and pay for them. You think? Mm -hmm. I don't want mom to walk over there and see all that stuff because I'll never be allowed to buy comics here again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, be careful. But yeah, and I like the same stuff. You didn't know who the artists were back then because they weren't usually identified. But you could open up a book and say, "Oh, that's Jack Kirby, and that's Neil Adams. I like his stuff, and I like Jim Aparo, and I like." Mm -hmm. Joe Kubert and I really, really like Russ Heath and Sam Gladsman and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you knew who they were, even if you didn't know their names. Yeah, you, you, you could, you knew the style. Mm -hmm. Yep. There was a point in time when I could identify every artist and every inker working in the business during the late '60s, early '70s, mm -hmm. just by looking at the page. I can actually still do that most of the time if you show me a comic from that era. Mm -hmm. Or advertising art, because a lot of advertising art today is taken from those old comics, not from new stuff. Yeah. So I would look at like a calendar. Say, well, that's George Tuska being inked by, um, I'm going to say Johnny Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be right 80% of the time, probably more. Mm -hmm. But I bet Steve could do the same thing. Uh, yeah, you just got used to, you. oh, I like this. You didn't know who it was. and But every once in a while, you'd come across a... a their name, you know, they <laughs> signed it once in a while. Like, like Grandinetti would sign some of his washtone covers. And Russ Heath always signed his work, and Joe Cuber did too. Yes. But then you got used to Andrew and Esposito or uh, Jack Abel or Mort Drucker or some of their, their work. But, uh, uh, you know, we're at the right age that in the early 60s was – I know they call it the silver age, but to me it was, it was my golden age. Mm -hmm. But that's probably the best time for comic books to be on the stands. Creepy and eerie magazines started showing up. All the Edgar Rice Burroughs paperbacks that were being published with the Frank Frazetta covers and, you know, the reprints of uh, that Ballantine Books did of all the EC comics you know, and they're in black and white, but that was such a rich time of, uh, you know, reading material. I mean, you'd go to a newsstand every week and there were the Burroughs paperbacks or comics or a new issue of Creepy or and then Blazing Combat, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, just, uh, it was such a great time to be a kid discovering and then all the new superheroes and then, Captain America's revived, and all, and then there's the Justice League, and and then the team ups of you know like Flash and Green Lantern. I mean, it was such a 
and Richard, you know, is probably like me. You go every week, you know, the first Superman annual. My goodness, that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then the first right. Batman annual. You're going, gee, there was a, a golden age. Yeah. And then fanzines came out because uh, Marvel and and the Julia Schwartz both uh, published, you know, letters to the editor, and they had addresses and people's names, you know. So I set off for a sample of, uh, I think it was the original Alter Ego number four with uh, Ron Foss's artwork on the cover. So, I mean, those are great times. And that's where we probably both kind of discovered fandom and collecting and and conventions started happening. So, I mean, it was a great time. I don't mean to hog the conversation here, but. You're not Richard was just as awestruck as I was. You're basically telling my life story there. (laughs) Like I said, it was great being a kid back then because there was something wonderful every week. That's exactly true. And one of the things you got used to doing every week was knowing exactly what day they were putting out new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Now these days, that's that's record keeping for a 12 or 11 year old kid. That's knowing that's record keeping. That's a valuable lesson. Yeah. And see back then magazines came out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. So you got it twice in a week. You might, there'd be a bundle of uh, wired comic books and you couldn't wait for them to, you know, snip that wire. <laughs> but never take the first top copy because oh, there's nope. always a damage. <laughs> the wire always cut into the top copy. Oh, yes. So uh, I like, went down four or five issues. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I remember when, uh, you know, uh, Superman Annual came out, you know, number one. I mean, that was just... You know, your eyes just got big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was just so, you know, so wonderful to see the old stuff that we hadn't really been aware of. So, yeah, that's true. Very few reprints back in the 60s. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to ask I'm, this is off the cuff question, and, you know, slowly we'll get into the, um, the book and so forth. Do you guys still have any of your old comics? I have some, but not very many. Um, like many kids, at one point, my parents tossed a lot of my stuff. <laughs> and uh, some of them, I, my, I bought Silver Surfer 1. It was the first time I'd ever spent that much money on a comic book. It was 25 cents. Uh-huh. And I bought it from the grocery store. And I thought my mother will kill me if she knows I spent a whole quarter. Because back then, a quarter, you could get five bottles of pop with a quarter. Uh-huh. You could get five candy bars with a quarter. Mm-hmm. You could get two comic, regular comic books, and I had bought one. Yeah. And that one wore out. That one actually literally fell apart. <laughs> I read it so many times and had mm-hmm. it for so long that eventually, back then, you know, if it wore out, you scrapped it. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. one was literally, I don't think there was a single page at, at a certain point that was connected to the other page. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I still have my war comics, but, and I still have that Uncle Scrooge number 11. I did keep that. But over the time, uh, I wish I still had my, you know, Spider-Man 1 and Fantastic mm-hmm. Four 1. You know, I, back then, I, I sold them. Mm-hmm. You don't even want to know how much we sold them for. No. But uh, cheap would be a good way to yeah. describe it. 
you know? And you also traded a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. And so if you bought it, you may trade it to somebody else because you thought you'd got all the juice out of it you were going to get out of it from rereading it again. And then you'd think back six months later, and say, man, I wish I still had that comic around. Mm-hmm. You could uh, buy uh, old EC comics for $2 from Howard Rogofsky. Mm-hmm. He was a, a big dealer back then. That's how I bought all my Iron Fist comics. Mm. When John Byrne was drawing it. Oh, my yeah. God. So, wait, Richard, do you still have that? No, I wish I did. Okay, I was like, those were among the ones that vanished when I was in college. Oh, uh, clearing out the basement. He says, "Well, he's not, he's not reading these anymore." Yeah. Now, <laughs> no, that's the way it goes. Oh yeah, I'm not the only kid who lost their collection because mom was house cleaning. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but I'm gonna say and 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 um, but I but you know I think the cool thing is is that you're. Richard and Steve, you you guys, what it was, you guys enjoyed comics. You read, you know, like you said, you read Silver Surfer number one to literally the pages were falling off because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's the joy of, you know, what, what comics really should be, you know, um, you know, war, you know, whereas for me, when I grew up in the seventies and actually in the eighties, you know, um, when you start hearing that, Oh, what do you, what do you mean? I could sell my comics and get, you know, twice as much or three times or four times or whatever it's then, you know, then that's where, you know, sometimes that, you know, that then for me, the habit was, okay, if I, you know, okay. Um, now I got to buy, you know, two copies of, and I'm going to say the first time I ever bought two copies of anything was crisis on infinite earths. Number one. Mm-hmm. So I think if I remember when that came out it was 50 cents, I, Instead of spending fifty cents, I spent a you know a dollar, you know. So, but you know, but you know, one a reading copy and one to save, and hopefully one day, sell it off one day at a much higher price. But just listening to you guys talk about you know, you know, um, just growing up, just you know, the the nostalgic, um, just going to the drugstore, the grocery store, just to buy comics and just reading them. Mm-hmm. It sounds great. You know, yeah, you can't do anything like that today. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the 60s was a time of, uh, you know, a lot of pop culture. Mm -hmm. You know, people become, I mean, think about the Beatles, you know, you're, you know, you know, when they came out, I mean, all of a sudden you're just becoming more aware of the world and and comics were exciting to read. and, And like I said, all the Burroughs paperbacks, all of a sudden there's just, such a richness of you know music and reading materials and stuff like that and plus you know know, i was gonna say a lot of history going on at that time Mm -hmm. i mean that was a a turbulent time period too with the vietnam war but there was uh i think you know we were all discovering you know ourselves then and so and comics were just part of me you know Mm -hmm growing up so and I, I never forgot that or left it mm-hmm. I, I honestly think comics helped me learn how to read in the first place i vividly remember the first comic i could actually read mm-hmm. i don't remember the issue and i don't remember the uh the year mm-hmm. but it had to be very early because it was a wyatt earp comic and i know who drew it it was dick ayers and i can still see mm-hmm. it in my head Mm-hmm. And that had to be 57, 58. And I was born in 56. So I probably read it a few years later. 
but mm-hmm. I was reading before I went into kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it took me to like first grade before it finally dawned on me that those little arrows pointing off the word balloons were pointing to the person who was talking. That was a big revelation for me. Mm-hmm. Once I got that, I got the whole system down. I was very happy that day because, you know, okay, the little dots go to the person who's thinking, the little arrow goes to the person who's talking. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think I learned to read almost the same way. I think, you know, uh, my mother would read a comic book to me and she'd say, well, here, read this. So, mm-hmm. you know, I th- and plus, I just learned to have a love of reading and visual arts. I became an art teacher because oh. of comic books. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, if you like comics, you're going to learn to read. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I look at it as an educational tool also. I think we found, both of us found out naturally what it took five decades for teachers to, come, to finally figure out. <laughs> yes. Because that's the honest to God truth. Nowadays, they're completely comfortable with kids reading comics, graphic novels yeah. in school. Yeah, but that was a fight, man. <laughs> <laughs> graphic storytelling wasn't quite as accepted back then as it is. It was now. actually frowned upon. You used to have it taken away from you, and you would get in trouble for it, reading a comic book in school. Yeah. Yeah. So. DC Comics had a, or Mad Mag a comic book had a, cover that looked like a, a school notebook so yeah <laughs> they got in big trouble for that too yeah the city of new york was considering suing them over that <laughs> because so many kids were sneaking their mad magazine in there under the cover mm-hmm. of it being a a school notebook <laughs> and that's a true story mm-hmm. <laughs> so richard and steve i'm sorry this is um one question I for, forgot to write down for you guys, both of you guys. So how did you guys, what was the journey for you guys? And if you don't mind just talking about your careers, how did you guys get to the point where you guys are like um, interviewing comic book creators, um, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm saying this wrong, like illustrated um, uh, books um, for like tomorrow's publishing. How did, how did you guys get these jobs or as a fr- as freelance writers how, how did how did you guys get kind of work start getting work into i guess part of like part of the comic book industry hmm you want to go first or you want me to uh richard why don't you go ahead and go first i think and i've told many people this it was by the back door i unlike steve i had no connection with fandom whatsoever no connection with con- uh, comic book conventions. I didn't even know they existed till I was like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And um, it was years after that. And I, I was, um, I got, I went into this bookstore in Salt Lake city where they had flat unread, never before touched copies of uh, creepy and eerie from the Frizzetti days, the early days, the 67, 64, 65, and a bunch of Skywalks. None of them, they were all file copies mm-hmm. that had been sold to this bookstore in lieu of payment for something else. And so they had been, and the comic book shop had closed down in, I'm going to say 1978 when the guy, the brother, the brother ran the bookstore, but the other brother ran the comic book store and he died. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get any new comics and they just closed the room up. And I said, that room's full of comics. Can I go in and look at it? He says, oh, sure, go ahead. And I walk in and there's all these file copies of stuff. 
and they're perfectly flat. They're mm -hmm. a little, the top issues were dusty because they'd had probably 20 years of dust on them. Mm -hmm. And I took them and bought them. And I looked them up on the Grand Comic Book Database and discovered that they didn't have very good records of them at that time. Mm -hmm. And they didn't, um, and what some of what they did was completely wrong. I could look at this and know that they were completely wrong. They didn't match what was in the book for one thing, but they didn't also match what I could actually see with my own eyes. Because like I said, I could identify the penciler and the art and the inker by looking at the page. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote to the Grand Comic Book Database and said, look, you've got bad information or no information here. And I know it all. Mm -hmm. And they says, well, fill these out. So I filled out. And if you go on a Grand Comic Book Database, 90% of the information on the creepy books is from me. And nearly all of the Skywall stuff is from me. Now, some of it was incorrect on my part because I didn't have complete records. And people were using fake names on some of it. But 90% of it was correct. Mm -hmm. And um, I did that. And one of the things is that shortly thereafter, Al Hewitson, who used to be the editor of Skywall, contacted me. And he says, I was the first person who'd ever uh, went to that much trouble. Mm -hmm. to get all that stuff down. I said, well, thank you. And he says, do you happen to know where this particular artist is? Because I would like to get together with him and work on something again. And I says, no, I did not know where this artist was. I, I, I knew his name, but I didn't. It was Malio Citron. And he actually was doing, at that time, I think he was painting Star Wars. No, Star Trek paperback covers. Oh, yeah. And, but I didn't know that because, of course, they're not identified on mm -hmm. most of the paperbacks. They don't have the artist, cover artist identified on them. Mm -hmm. but, I didn't, but two weeks after that, I got a letter from Malio Cetron, who says, I, I would like to know if you could get, put me in touch with Al Hewitson. I says, well, yes, I could do that because he just contacted me. So yeah. I got them in touch with each other. And unfortunately, Al died very shortly thereafter. But... I was one of the last people he was emailing because we were emailing back and forth the day before he died. And apparently, he, well, actually the day he died and he passed away that evening, mm -hmm. uh, right. probably within a few minutes after I had sent him back an email. So his wife contacted me. And from that, I started, uh, I'd done a short little interview with him because I thought, oh, I'm going to put this up online and I'll, I'll put this little interview I did with Al Hewitson. It was a terrible interview. I was really didn't have no idea what to ask. And it was not, if I, I look at it today and I kind of cringe, to tell you the truth. But, you know, it was a first effort and I didn't know what I was doing. So the fact that I actually got it finished and got it up was mm -hmm. good. Yes. And then other people started contacting me. Professionals, almost always professionals. Mm -hmm. Like I knew something and I really didn't know anything. But uh, I thought, well, maybe if they think I'm doing good, I should send these out to some of these magazines. So I tried Comic Book Artist and got nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I, I tried Roy Thomas and got nowhere. Mm -hmm. Until one day I sent him an interview I'd done for uh, a fanzine. Mm -hmm. the, the Bar Mitzvah. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but there were a number of uh, fanzine people who did actual comic books with professional artists, Bernie Wrightson and Mike Kaluta and uh, Jeff Jones and people like that, but they were kids. They were teenagers, 14, 15 years old, who used their bar mitzvah money to put out a comic book or two. And I interviewed them and Roy said, well, this isn't half bad. Mm -hmm. uh, so can we use this? I said, yeah, use it away. <laughs> I'm just going to say no. 
And that's how I got into it is that Roy Thomas gave me my first break because he saw some value in something that I would have done differently if I were doing it today. But back then I, you know, you're, you're playing it by ear. Mm-hmm. So, and that just spiraled around pretty soon. I was doing a lot of stuff for Roy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, quite a lot. I'm, I'm always surprised how, and, but the first thing is I knew he liked my stuff because he sent and said, uh, I would like you to write a long piece on the comics code and how it affected comics. Mm-hmm. And I thought, first off, I thought he's testing me to see if I'll do it mm-hmm. and how well I'll do it. And second, he says, I'd be stupid not to do this because this is really my way in if I want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And three, says, I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> But I did it anyway, and it turned out pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it not only took up almost a full issue of Alter Ego, but he did a sequel to it some, a few months later, about a year later. And so I did that too. And it, it I think that him doing that, that uh, Bar Mitzvah Boy stuff, and then allowing, actually commissioning me to do something as of before, I was just sending stuff in. And mm-hmm. he would say, no, yes, and that was it. But since the he's he asked for something i do it if if i send something and he says yeah we can run this mm-hmm. and that's a great relationship to have mm-hmm. so and then by that time i was comic book artist was dead but comic book creator had been created so it was a sequel and back issue i started doing a little bit of stuff for them and i did the two books and surprise that was the easiest two books i ever got published i tried for years after that i get a third book published and it was difficult this is the third, this is my fourth book, but the third book that I actually got going. And I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, the first two, it took five minutes to sell my first book. Oh, okay. Five minutes. Mm-hmm. I walked up to the guy at McFarland and said, you know, this book that you have out in this subject is terrible. He <laughs> <laughs> says, well, do you think you can do better? And he says, Yes. And he says, well, contact me after the convention. And I did. And he says, yeah, we'll do this book. So it was easy. And now on to Steve. Actually, Steve, before we start on you, I'm sorry, Richard, I wanted to go back. You mentioned something called, was it Skywall? Skywall was a publishing company that was done by, uh, they combined their names. The room was Saul Brodsky, who used to be their production manager at Marvel. And then he took off for a while to become his own editor, like Stan Lee was. And it was the sky walled was Brodsky, S-K-Y. Mm-hmm. And then Herschel, I think it was Herschel, might be Israel, Waldman. Mm-hmm. And they combined their two names to create a sky walled comic book company. And they were a competitor in the black and white horror field with uh, Warren. Oh, okay. They had three magazines. They had Psycho, they had Nightmare, and they had Scream. Oh, okay. I think I... And was this back in... When was this... When, when was 71 this? to 70... 70 to 75. And they did have good artists. Boris Viejo did a number of early covers for them. Yes, I did. Jones did as well. And then, like I mentioned, one of my covers is a actual Skywald, was a Skywald cover back in the 70s. But mm-hmm. he also had Sebastian Bodea, and he was a fantastic artist. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know him in this country anymore because he quit doing covers, but he's a fine arts artist in Europe now. Yeah, so, and the Waldman, he published back in the 60s, not yeah. exactly, you know, permit. Uh, IW comics that were reprint comics. 
Mm-hmm. They were they were they were illegal because he didn't yes. have copyright on any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but they had new covers. Like they, they had new covers, and they that disguised the fact that they were Plastic Man, which he did not own. And yeah. <laughs> or uh, and know. a lot of uh, Captain Marvel. I think he did a cup of Captain Marvel when he wasn't yeah, supposed I mean, to, wasn't supposed to appear anywhere at that point. There were some uh, oddball. There was also another magazine publisher, I cannot remember, but they would reprint a lot of the old uh, Stanmore uh, horror comics and things. Myron like that. Faust. Yes, yes. Myron and also that, did an original book, but he screwed everybody on that one. So. Yeah. I mean, back, like I said, back in the 60s and the 70s, there were a lot of oddball publishers. And you, the thing is, you would find those magazines at grocery stores, you know, in their magazine <laughs> yeah. racks. But they were, Foss stuff was very close to lowest common denominator stuff. Yes. Really, really, really gory. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was also a guy named Stanley Morris who just reprinted old pre-code horror mm-hmm. stories in black and white. Yeah. But Foss actually had them redrawn gorier than they were to begin with. Yeah. And often had them rescripted. Same oh, story, but rescripted. But the, the rescripting was terrible. It was just think, awful. Uh, Carl Burgos did some of those stories, didn't he? Carl did uh, covers. He was a cover. Yes. I think he was the art director early on for it. Something, yes. You, but you, they were very gory covers, too. Yep. Not the best artist, either. <laughs> no, the they often art. had really bad artists, but, you know, so did Charlton, but Charlton rose above that once in a while. I can't honestly say I think that the Foss books ever did when he was mm-hmm. those out. Although he did have some decent cover artists, they were really gory. He did hire Dick Ayers and Chick Stone actually do work for him too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I said, there was a lot of stuff that would surprise you from week to week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there was different stuff coming out all the time, and from publishers, sometimes you never knew who the heck they were. Yeah, American Comics Group. I had no idea they'd been around for a long time. But mm-hmm. I, when I started reading comics, they were they were in their dying days, and so mm-hmm. it was weird. And they'd had weird books. They had a fat kid. I remember that Herbie. Yeah, Her- Herbie. Herbie. Yeah, he was a he was a really fat kid who wore a beanie with a propeller on his head, yeah. and had lots of pimples. Yeah. <laughs> and a lollipop. Yeah, and he had a lollipop in his mouth all the time, and short shorts that were overalls, yeah. checkered overalls. Yeah, he was a very strange-looking dude. And Ogden Whitney was the artist on that. I think oh, he yes. was the yes. too. But that yeah. was a weird, strange book, and it's actually gotten a cult status these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's been reprinted by PS Art Books. Oh, yeah, that, that could be. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. PS does a lot of reprinting of. of stuff that you wouldn't see otherwise yeah. they're a british company but they do a really nice job of reprinting stuff yes mm-hmm. i've got one of their hard covers yeah of um old science fiction pre-code um science fiction stories yeah oh right. i just ordered a ps book called tales tales of the tomb which is john stanley who wrote little lulu of all mm-hmm. things <laughs> wrote a horror a yeah. giant 80 page horror book back in 1962 and it was so scary that Dell had to pull it off the stands because they had so many people. Because Dell didn't go with a comic code, uh-huh. never. But it was it was really and it really is scary. And he also wrote the first issue of Ghost Stories number one. Uh huh. And they are very very scary stories. 
The Monster of Dread End. That's one creepy story, man. And the more you think about it, the creepier it gets. It's one of those just sneaks up on you. Uh, and Mr. Green must be fed. That's another great one. <laughs> it was a rug that ate you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Richard. I'm going to interrupt. Um, no, go ahead. Steve, I'm going to ask you, so how did you start at, uh, as a writer, you know, interviewing comic book creators and well, so just kind of a again kind of like Richard backdoor kind of deal I was always a, a comic fan you know growing up I'd go to some of the early conventions down uh, in uh, Texas and then we had a few here in Oklahoma City back in the early 70s called multicons and we'd have people anywhere from uh, 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 Alex Toth would be here uh, uh, to uh, uh, oh gosh i'm trying to remember uh you know just some movie old movie actors you know george takei and people like that would come to you know some of the conventions and so i'd you know kind of i've been a collector for a long time then i kind of bought you know comics for a long time still collecting sort of but then started going back to some of the early, uh, dallas conventions and stuff and i just you just start meeting dealers and uh and start seeing some of the the uh, fans there that you get to talking to and getting to know and and some of the you know professional artists and writers that would be the and I kind of got back into it and then uh, I got contacted somehow I can't remember, I'd start writing letters or wanting to send an article or two to uh, like I said some of the Overstreet magazines and mm -hmm. and seems like just little by little i kind of got into the writing side of it it might be an interview here i just would out of the blue just kind of get in touch like lucky with russ heath or rick estrada who was a wonderful person mm -hmm. and uh, just you know little by little then i got connected to the uh, big five collectors out in california and uh Chris Pedrin called me and, you know, I gave him information to, while he was kind of doing his information guide and one, you know, somehow my wife and I wound up going to a, a convention out in San Diego back in the late nineties. And I, when Chris Pedrin's guide came out and, you know, got to know them and they had a dinner that they would have every year. Like uh, it would be at a steak place or a pizza place or mm -hmm. something. And some of the, you know, big five collectors would be there but we'd have some of the pros there too so the second one i ever went to russ heath and mort drucker were there and you know got to talk with them and then uh lo and behold three people dropped by uh just to say hi at that dinner and it was julia schwartz joe giella and uh, uh rick estrada mm -hmm. so i got to know them so little by little i'd go to San Diego and I met, that's how I met Sam Glansman one year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I became friends with him probably about 20 years ago. So you get to know these people at some of the dinners at kind of a more casual setting than just sitting behind a table going, will you sign this book? So mm -hmm. it was, a, you know, kind of interesting. So uh, little by little, I kind of got into the writing and somehow Richard and I connected. Uh, I forget who it was through, but it might have been through, you know, either Alter Ego or, you know, one of the fan, uh, 
comic book marketplace or you actually know, i bought you one of your my cd one of your magazine things and it had your address on it that's right yeah okay like i said the uh cd magazine panelography was kind of just a little you know vanity project that i enjoyed doing but it helped me develop my writing skills through doing that stuff and doing interviews and plus just you know i was very privileged to interview the people that I talked to and, you know, or just getting information from, like I got to talk to Julia Schwartz, you know, or, or Joe Gill, you know, who was a, you know, prolific writer for uh, uh, Charlton. Mm -hmm. So, you know, little by little, I kind of went from fan to, you know, expanding my interest in comics and writing and wanting to do more than what I had been doing. That's, sort of like again it's kind of a back door kind of one thing lead you know led to another mm -hmm. um steve i want to ask i'm going to go back a little bit um you, you're because you it the that see the the um self-published magazine the cd yes. I mean, was that an actual hard copy magazine I, I was no it was actually done just uh and all the writing was converted to pdf forms and uh put on, you know, you know, put on a regular CD disc okay. and it was just, you know, basically it was a computer magazine, oh, you know, okay. so you'd get the disc and pop it in and you could, uh, you know, select what to read or something. And I'd have, you know, in pictures on it and stuff, you know, that, uh, that I'd scanned in and things like that. So it just kind of, I was experimenting at the time, you yeah. know, and I just kind of was presenting something, other than it was too expensive to publish a magazine, mm -hmm. you know, it just wasn't cost effective. So CD was kind of, you know, a cheap alternative. And uh, of course, 20, 25 years ago, mm -hmm. I was learning about computers too. So, <laughs> you know, and the things you could do with them. Yeah. Wow. So, so wow. I mean, I still, you know, got a lot of stuff still in, you know, all my files on disk. So, mm -hmm. I, I'm just, this is an off the cuff question. And if you can answer it, I'm, I'm just asking is, you know, right. if a listener is interested, can they still buy one of your CDs? Oh, uh, I would probably have to go back and, you know, the computers have gotten a little more sophisticated. I maybe would be a good way to put it. I could probably put something together, but, uh, you know, I have a few leftovers. I could, you know, I'd have to go back and look. I can email those, you know, what I have to you, okay? Yeah. No, I, like I'm just well, I could just, or I'll tell you what, I'll get your mail and, you know, I'll, from you can email me your address and I'll just send a few to you, okay? Well, thank you very much. Sure. Um, One of his CD magazines was the, uh, was the, Pretend painted DC covers where they did, uh, they made, tried to make their, their covers look like they were painted. They weren't, but they were gray toned. Mm -hmm. They were colored, but they had gray tones underneath. So it often gave them the look of, of being not pencil, pen and inked like they were. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd seen a collection of those. I'd seen the covers from time to time, but that was the first time I ever saw a collection of those. And I thought, well, this is really cool. Yeah. I mean, it was cool to have that available. And I still have it. I still have it sitting 
in an easy to access place in case I ever want to look up one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I mean, you, know, you never know what you're going to need. That's the God's honest truth when you're yeah. doing this. I mean, I look around at you know, all my references that I have and I should be better organized. I know we're, you know, everyone always has a pile of something. They know what's in that pile, but it looks disorganized, but you know, it's not. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, Steve, I understand it's, it's, an, I'm like, I, I, I'm disorganized, but it's like, it's, it's organized mess. I, I know where things are. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, okay. Um, I'm going to, so you guys started to go, how did you guys meet? Because I know Richard, you started to talk about how you bought one of them. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You bought one of Steve's CDs. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So how but did you? Mm -hmm. We didn't actually meet until we'd been collaborating for probably about three years, four years. Yeah. yeah lots of emails and, and. We did lots of emails. But we had, and that's the only time we've ever physically met so far. Yeah, so. that was it. San Diego in 2017. 2017 or 2016, one of the two. I think it's 17. Right. I looked on my phone right. and I got a picture of you and me together. And okay, it's, if it's dated, I'll, I'll go by that. So. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that was the first time we actually met and we, and we discovered we had a lot in common and I like the guy. Yeah. Yep. He's, Sometimes he's, that he's, doesn't happen when you meet him in person. Yes. <laughs> you can have a great online relationship and then you meet him in person and you realize, Oh, this guy is maybe not going to be a good friend <laughs> because there's, you know, sometimes there's a mile and a half of difference between the two. Yeah. Steve was like, I was meeting somebody that I, I've been known for years. Yep, exactly. I mean, and, uh, we, we, again, we had many of the same interest. That's good. Uh, he had the same interest in new stuff that I did. Mm -hmm. um, it was fun. But at least I, I actually contacted him. I'd finished the first two books that I published. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this really, really long project that I knew was going to be long. And I didn't knew I didn't have enough information for it. And I said, well, who do I know who might be a good source? And I thought, mm -hmm. he's not only a good source, he'd probably be a good person to team up with on this. And it was supposed to be originally an entire history of American war comics. Right. <laughs> and... That is a huge and much more complicated book than you think it's going to be when you start out. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, we could bat this out in a year or two. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we found no, out that's an enormous quite. amount of reading you've got to do. Mm -hmm. And all kinds of weird little pathways that lead off from what you're initially thinking is pretty straightforward. War comics. Hey, yeah. mm -hmm. but, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. so we're, and the book that we have now was originally supposed to be a part of that book. Oh. <laughs> and we yeah. we sent the initial proposal to Fanographics. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And Mike Ketron was the guy we were in contact with. Mm -hmm. And he was enthusiastic. Yes. But, you know, at Fanographics, you, there's a committee, I guess, you got to go through. Oh, okay. And yeah. we didn't make it through the committee. Took him a long time to make that decision because it was a committee, but mm -hmm. it took a long. But he suggested, you know, you really have two books here, and maybe you should split the real big five off from that mm -hmm. and do the history, and then do the real big five. And it was a great suggestion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Give him all the credit he's credited in the book for being helpful and 
all that sort of thing. You know, one of the people we couldn't have done the book without. Mm-hmm. But that was, that, run, it right. actually made sense to do that. Yeah. And, and so he, he pointed us in the right direction. That's for sure. Well, okay. All right. So. And then I'm now correct me if I'm wrong. So this is where it leads to um, our artists at war, the best of the best American war comics book that's coming out soon. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. yes. That's our first book. We hope to have this, the other book that, you know, is the history of, of you know, American war comics. Mm-hmm. Some of what was in that originally is now in this big, you know, this, this Our Artist at War book. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more material that, mm-hmm. is, that we did not include in this book. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to rewrite some stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, a, it's a history lesson. We know that. And well, it seems to be ongoing. But in terms of rewriting, we didn't actually finish this book mm-hmm. until a very intensive five or six week period in April and May. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, I was, I don't know about Steve, but I was doing 13, 14 hour days with my regular job and working on this. Wow. It was a long couple, six weeks, but it was worth it in the end, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it improved the book a lot. We put in an, at least one full extra chapter. We mm-hmm. revised every single word in that book, I think, at one point or another. Yeah, we've we did all the captions. And there's 204 pieces of artwork, I think, maybe more than that now. It might yeah. have increased a little bit right there at the end. Yeah, Richard sent me some of them, and I'm the one that kind of assembled them all. And yep. He did, like I said, he did most of the scans for the artwork, and I did most of the writing for it, but he worked mm-hmm. on the writing, too, mm-hmm. yeah. correcting stuff I didn't have exactly right, mm-hmm. and vice versa. I mean, it's very much a collaboration. Oh, yes. There, yeah. are, there are pages where I know this is, I wrote this, and there are pages I know he wrote this, mm-hmm. and there are pages where I can't tell, and that's a sign of a good collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of, you know, overlapped quite a bit, uh, you know, in some of those chapters mm-hmm. here Some, and there. Sometimes we had to cut down stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are sometimes when we had to increase stuff because we didn't have enough. Mm-hmm. That entire Jack Kirby it, chapter in the book was done in that six weeks in April and May of this year. Mm-hmm. And it was really under pressure because we had to get it done. Mm-hmm. John wanted it. He not only said, yes, I want to do it. I want to have it ready for my summer catalog. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We got to get this stuff done. I mean, we've taken quite a few years to work on the book, but John kind of, uh, kind of woke us up, so to speak. And mm-hmm. we kind of really got into, you know, more than second gear, third gear, maybe, <laughs> you know. but it really, well, he, he really motivated us to kind yeah. of, get everything coalesced and, and refined and rewritten and, uh, you know, make sure our up, thoughts are coherent. We ended up selecting a lot of new artwork that we probably would not have considered mm-hmm. if you hadn't said, you know, legally we can only do so many EC scans. <laughs> <laughs> said, oh, well, we got to start kicking stuff out because we had a lot of EC artwork we wanted. Mm-hmm. And we still ran a good section, but there were certain things we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then, we were looking at, we got going out and we realized this is going to be a trade paperback and maybe it can support two pieces of artwork per page. And that makes a big difference in what you put on that page. Mm-hmm. So 
And then John Again, came that up increased with some, some stuff quite a lot. Yeah. And John uh, added some artwork that he had. Wow. So some of the Jack Kirby stuff. And, uh, you know, yes. like I said, there's, it's not me or Richard doing a hundred percent of the art pieces. There's uh we were lucky that we probably did 90% to yeah. some of the things that you'll see in the book, you know, come from John Morrow. We can't, mm -hmm. you know, we appreciate him a lot mm -hmm. for what he said. We actually sent in the finished pages from the book and then he substituted the pencil drawings because mm -hmm. that's pure Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he had the original pencil art. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, yeah, that's that's a smart thing to do. He some of it's still in color, but yeah. those black and white pencil things, if you're going to do Jack Kirby and you want him to be in pure as raw as you want him to, as you would like to see him sometimes. Yes. This is how you do it. You look mm -hmm. at the original pencils. So I'm very happy with that chapter. I think it's worked out just yeah. And you know, and we don't want to say also the book is you know a past history book. You know, we have you know that chapter with uh, you know about Wayne Van Zant and Don Lomax and Garth Ennis. Yes. yes. And you know, we're I mean, they're very vibrant people that are producing some of the best war comics, graphic novels, and stories, you know, in today's times. Yes. So, I would even go beyond some of the best and say simply the best right at the moment. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. you know. They are the current masters of the field. Yes. Just like Russ Heath was back in the day and Joe Kubert were. That's who they, that's how important they are to war comics right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When, there are other like, artists who are good, mm -hmm. those three, in my opinion, are the, the best three working right now. Yeah, they they know how to tell a story. Yes. You know, you really get involved in the story. Mm -hmm. You know, not just looking at pretty pictures and reading some of the words on the you know on each page. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the uh, Wayne Van Zant's uh, Katusha is just so engrossing that once you start it, you know, you just can't put it down. Mm -hmm. And Don Lomax's Vietnam you know stuff is just really gets you there. Yeah. And Garth Ennis, he does, I was going to say from historical periods, but they're, you know, it's such fine work and, and the characters are just rich. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Battlefields. Yes. Dynamite. Yes. And yeah. Battlefields is only a short, I mean, everybody thinks old preacher or the boys or something mm -hmm. like that, but he's written an astonishing number of war comics in the last mm -hmm. 15, 20 years. Oh, yes. Um, and the thing is... Battlefields, battle stories. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That one you're holding in your hand. That was the last one I read before we published. Wow. And no, the, the one you're holding in your hand, the one about the women Russian oh, snipers. Sarah from TK. That, oh, yes. That um, is a great book, man. Yes, that is, it is. fantastic. Yeah, or uh, the fact that know, they often have a basis in truth, I, I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I noticed that after he published his Night Witches, suddenly there were a whole lot of not comic books, regular prose books being written about the Night Witches. Mm -hmm. And I thought, somebody they somebody read the his Night Witches, says, well, that would be a good book for here. Yeah. And, and mentioned it to a writer, and they did it. But and I think that, that's influential. That's what it should be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His uh, uh, Dreaming Eagles about some of the, the black World yeah, War II Tuskegee pilots. Airmen. 
Yes, that's, you know, phenomenal, you mm -hmm. know, to read that. And, you know, especially during, you know, with Black history being really coming to the forefront now. Yes. Uh, just stuff like that. But the but the Russian involvement in World War II, Ennis is covering. Also, some of the, uh, his book, The String Bags, you know, and, and some of those that are coming out through Aftershock mm -hmm. are just, you know. Many of that is you know, not familiar to American readers. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good thing to have is that mm -hmm. it brings a fresh flavor into what you're doing. Yes. But it's still a war comic. Yeah. And um, I think that all of that leads into basically what we were started the book in the first place. We were mentioning the influence of these three guys today. Mm -hmm. That didn't come from nowhere. That came from Harvey Kurtzman, literally creating mm -hmm. the war comic genre in 1950. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there before. There were war comics before that. Mm -hmm. But the war comic genre as we know it today did not exist in the 1940s. It was just separate comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He created it, and it blew up overnight. Mm -hmm. Marvel at one time had 27 monthly war comics coming out in the late, in 52, 53, 54. 27. <laughs> and that, and DC only had two. <laughs> and yeah. it was still better than all 27 of Marvel's. Not because Marvel was bad, but because they had Harvey Kurtzman writing. Oh, okay. I mean, and then then there's Charlton, you know. Uh, yeah. Charlton really, uh, when a lot of comic companies, yes, were failing. Yes. Charlton would acquire their inventories, you know, like from uh, Stan or uh, uh, Fawcett. Fawcett or take a lot from that. Fawcett. Mm -hmm. And they would uh, kind of, or St. John, you know, we're fighting Marines yeah, yeah. from. They would just, they acquired like the old material or, or the issues that hadn't seen print yet. They kind of finished up the printing and then continued some of the titles. Mm -hmm. They so, picked up Foxhole from Jack Kirby. Yes. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, you, you know, some people put down Charlton, but if you'll kind of really go through, Sam Glansman did some phenomenal art. Mm -hmm. And then Willie Franz, when they collaborated on uh, the, you know, the war. Willie of, Schultz. Willie Schultz. Yes. And the Iron Corporal. That yes. kind of was sneaking under the radar, mm -hmm. you know. But it was as good a reading as any DC or Marvel war comic. Okay. One of the things I'd like to say is that of the creators that we cover in this book. Yes. With the exception of maybe Garth Ennis, who I do not know for sure. Mm -hmm. and Willie Franz, who was 4F and could not join the military. Everybody that we're talking about was, an, uh, was a serviceman at one time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Kirby, Tanager, Kubert, uh, Kurtzman, mm -hmm. um, Glansman, mm -hmm. yes. Van Zandt, mm -hmm. uh, Don Lomax, they were all veterans of, yes. of the military. Mm -hmm. They may not have fought in a war, mm -hmm. because it depends on what time their service was. Archie Goodwin, all part of the military at one time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that was a helpful in how they approached these stories. Yes. Some of the early I, issues of Foxhole were actually touted as being created by, you know, uh, veterans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were all they all had their uh, military ranks when mm -hmm. their names were presented on the page. It was you know PFC this and 
Corporal Jack Kirby, and I don't know if it was Corporal, but you yeah. know, you get the drill. Yeah. It was that, you know, when they had their ranks, they, they were not just identified by name, their ranks were put on it. So I thought that was a nice touch. That is nice. I mean, there's a, such a richness of the, you know, the 50s and 60s war comics that, uh, I mean, and Richard and I will both be, you know, admit we're fans of everybody that we have, you know, written about in this in this book you know we we can look at harvey kurtzman or joe kubert or mm -hmm. don lomax and yes. you know they all interconnect you know there's a, a common thread there of wanting to tell a story about the common man who has to go and fight a war yeah. you know and that's what it all you know gets down to it's not and an about, attempt on every one of their parts to tell it as truthfully as they can under the restrictions they may be working under. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know some people Kurtzman put down went, the, oh, was right up in front by saying, I did not want to write stories for children that glorified war. Yeah. Yes. Because he thought that was dishonest. Mm -hmm. War is not, kids could, shouldn't go around going rat-a-tat-tat, thinking mm -hmm. that they're going to live through this battle because they're Americans. Yes. Yeah. Americans died in wars. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it wasn't a pleasant death, and sometimes what they saw wasn't pleasant, and he, did, he, he deliberately wrote stories to reflect that. Mm -hmm. They were accurate military-wise. I mean, he, used the, he was also the guy who started, if we're going to put a gun in this story, it's going to be a gun that could have been used at that time. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was a cannon that could be used. It was a plane that looked accurate. Mm -hmm. He sent Jerry DeFuco, who uh, became an editor at Mad Magazine, he was his assistant. He sent him out to tour a submarine so they could get take pictures of the sub while he was down in there so that they could use those for how sub looked like underwater. Yeah, yeah Kurtzman was a stickler for accuracy. Mm -hmm. And then before you guys continue, I'm going to mention to our listeners, um, you know, because I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know about Harvey Kurtzman, you know, and him writing war comics, mm -hmm. you know, the two comics that you guys mentioned in the book is, you know, he did Two Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If, if you've those never read those, you need to. Those two comics set the template for every war comic that came after them. Every single one of them. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets away with writing a war comic without yeah. having some idea or at least having seen somebody draw their influence from the EC books. Mm -hmm. And that's the God's honest truth. You can get by without following Blackhawk, but you can't get by doing war comics if you don't have some inkling of what Two-Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat were. Yeah, they, they, they set the uh, standards, I would say. Mm -hmm. you know, not to say that, uh, you know, there weren't good writers elsewhere, there were, mm -hmm. but... Yeah. Uh, Hank Chapman was a very good writer for Marvel. Yes, and Robert Kaniger, you know. Oh, yes. He, he knew what he was writing about. Yes. And Joe Gill wrote good stories for Charlton. Yes, yes. So they were, those were the three main writers of war comics for all three companies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't recall Stan Lee writing a war comic until Sergeant Fury number one. But Mark. he made that. <laughs> But I don't recall him ever writing any more. He usually identified himself because he was the editor. Mm -hmm. There was always a Stan Lee, very stylized, looked like uh, Bill Everett had designed the, the word, his name. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
there was always a Stan Lee. If he wrote it, he actually put his name on there somewhere. Oh, oh yes, because I, because I have the, and I know our, our listeners can't see it, but, you know, but I have the epic collection, the Sergeant Fury and the Holland Commandos. Mm -hmm. Stan Lee, yeah. So yeah, I have that too. <laughs> and so, I think another thing that war comics don't get credit for is that they were the first comics after the comics code shut down all mention of prejudice. Oh. They were the comics that reintroduced prejudice back in as mm -hmm. a going concern. It was, it was first in Sergeant Rock and then in Sergeant Fury. Mm -hmm. Both of them, and we try to detail both of those, mm -hmm. uh, particularly the, the Kirby, the Stanley Jack Kirby, which is in that epic book you were just holding up. It's issue number seven. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but they had problems with that book, too. The black guy is colored white in all in the first issue. I don't know if he still is being colored white, oh. but he was colored white in the original book. Yes. Because the, the printer did not believe that they meant to have a black soldier in that comic because black soldiers and whites were segregated at the time. Yes. So in that first issue, he was colored white all the way through. And then for another 30 or 40 issues, he was never colored black. He was colored gray. Because I just saw that in issue. I'm flipping through the pages. I just saw that. Yeah. He was colored gray, except on the cover. He was black on the cover, but he was gray on the interiors so up until like issue 46, 47. That's yeah. A long time. Racism hadn't really been touched upon since the EC days, really. I mean, uh, Kurtzman did, you know, he touched on you know, black soldiers and, and uh, you know, Japanese-American yes. soldiers, too, you know, back then. Uh -huh. And even uh, some of the issues of GI Combat, when they were published by Quality, had a, a black sergeant in a couple of the stories. So you'd find things like that, but EC probably set the standard for, you know, trying to expose, you know, inequality. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, EC went like so that. far as they actually had the Klan. They didn't call them the Klan, but they were in Klan uniforms. Yeah. Uh, terrorizing people in crime stories. Oh, okay. They had, uh, they got in trouble. Their last story that they published in the last color comic, they mm -hmm. almost got canned. It was a reprint because they'd already canned the story that was supposed to go there. The comics code had said total no to the first story. Mm -hmm. So they brought in a reprint which is about this spaceman who uh, lands on this planet and he's having to deal with these robots, which are prejudiced against each other because their, their skin, their shield, their armor, whatever you want to call it, their steel skin is colored differently from each one. Mm -hmm. One of them or some of them are yellow, some of them are blue. So they're having difficulty integrating themselves. So he finds a way to do it. And mm -hmm. then at the very last panel, he takes his, his helmet off because he can't breathe on the planet that he's on. He's wearing a spacesuit. Mm -hmm. He takes his helmet off and he's a black guy and he's sweating because he's really sweating because he had a helmet on the whole time of the story. And they tried to cancel that one too, because the black guy is sweating. Yeah. Now that's not the reason they wanted to get rid of that story. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's a stupid reason to get rid of a story. Yes. It was because he was a black guy at the end of that story. <laughs> uh, it's silly. It seems silly now, but it seems silly now, but it was that that was the last story that DC pr printed, 
And the last story that dealt with any kind of racial prejudice yeah. until uh, Jackie Johnson showed up in that uh, Sergeant Rock story. Yes. Yeah. What, what color, what's the color of your blood? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, so, mm -hmm. so it was in war comics, oddly enough, because those units were strictly segregated during World War II. Mm -hmm. Jackie Johnson could not have been in Easy Company. Mm -hmm. Gabe Jones could not have been in the Howling Commandos. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they did it anyway, just to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And good for them. Yes. Because that gave rise for Kirby and Lee to do the Black Panther five or six, three years later, I guess. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And that changed everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. That's so, a whole nother topic to go, you know, get into, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's an important one because... But, but, it is important, yes. yes. A lot of, of breakthroughs in how comics presented themselves. Sam Gladsman did the first gay story in, in comic book history. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. It's a story called Toro. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't mention the word homosexual in the story whatsoever. But anybody, and I was, I don't know, how old were you, Steve, when you read that? Oh, goodness. I was probably 14, 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was probably, I'm a little older than you, so I was, yeah, it was in the, I was in my 20s. It didn't take me any, any real difficulty to figure out they were talking about gay people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it's not mentioned. It's not, and he's not humiliated like you would think he might no. be. Yeah. And the story doesn't hit you in the face or yeah. try to, you know, no. preach to you. Mm -hmm. It just, it just evolves in a natural way. It's, you know. it's it. The end. The ending is tragic, but it's not tragic because he's gay. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's tragic because he doesn't live. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's an important thing. He's not treated any differently in any major respect as any of the other sailors or marines he's working with. Yeah. Oh, and and I want to touch on Sam Glansman. Yes, with USS Stevens was kind of a a rarity in that it was, you know, he was the writer artist, you mm -hmm. know, he did, you know, and he had total control of the, you know, of the four and five page stories and some of the subjects he would touch on, some would be humorous, some would be, you know, just, you know, tragic, you know, like the way war should be. Yes. You know, it's not glorified, mm -hmm. but uh, he could touch on things like, uh, you know, uh, color me brave. And that was a, a story someone had written and said, how come you don't have any black sailors? So that was a story in reaction to that, you know, about a black sailor. Mm -hmm. you know? And um, just, you know, things like Sam was, uh, I was it's lucky to get to know him and, and Richard kind of knows him too, or knew him too. And, and we both know his wife, Sue. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sam just, you know, that was a, a thing that he did thank goodness that dc comics allowed him to do you know and, and i think you should emphasize the fact that joe kubert was his editor for all yeah, of those that, that were published and that's probably why he had so much carte blank to do what he wanted to because mm -hmm. joe had absolute trust in him mm -hmm. yeah. so he could he could write about anything mm -hmm. and there were there's an amazing number of, of really stories that really hit hard from that, those little four and five pagers that were just considered filler. Mm -hmm. But like I mentioned in the book, a lot of people, including myself, would buy DC War Comics if they opened it up and in the back was one of those little four or five pagers. 
that made it worth the buying right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you knew even if the front story wasn't so hot, and that's not true in most cases with the DC comic at that time. Yeah. But even if it wasn't that great, mm -hmm. that story would be. Mm -hmm. And you'd be thinking about that story for a long time. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I don't know if you've seen the two collections that uh, Dover, you know, published. Uh, one is the USS Stevens. The other is the collection of the two graphic novels that Marvel, you know, published, uh, A Sailor's Story. You know, That's an autobiography are, by Sam. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't seen those, uh, we both highly recommend those two collections. Okay, yes. Now, I don't want highly recommend them to you, but to any reader or listener to this yeah. podcast, because they're that good. Yes. When was the last time you saw a comic book collection with the endorsement of, of George Bush and Barack Obama in the front pages? Mm -hmm. so. That doesn't, I've never seen that happen. And they both wrote in letters to this, for this publication. So, um, and there's a complete history in the back by John Cook about the stuff, about the stories themselves and how they evolved. It's an excellent put in. It's like a brick. I mean, it's a big mm -hmm. book. I mean, Sam lived that life. I mean, he was one of the few people that, uh, you know, that wrote about his experiences on board a ship in World War II. Mm -hmm. I mean, he kind of gave us a connection from, you know, now to back then and okay. it, you know personal stuff so yes. and, and we mentioned the fact that he treated homosexuals and he treated black people but he also treated the japanese fairly yeah oh, and yes. he handled the chinese a few times where their stories were chinese were involved in it he treated them fairly there were no buck tooth little grinning guys with glasses yeah they were people yeah, yeah. yeah. it wasn't the stereotypes a guy flying a kamikaze plane, he's thinking what somebody flying a kamikaze plane might think. Mm -hmm. um, there, were, so there was an ironic one where a guy's escorting his kamikaze buddies for their first mission. He trained them, and he knows they're going to die. Yeah. And he's going to fly back and train the next bunch. Mm -hmm. But he gets R&R, &R and he ends up in his hometown. Mm-hmm which is unfortunately Hiroshima, <laughs> yeah. the day it's bombed. Oh, so yeah. he doesn't make it through the war either. But mm -hmm. that, that's, uh, that's a rare case of Sam using an old Henry twist, but it's an effective old Henry twist. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the early war comics probably were more stereotypical, you know, mm -hmm. the, the evil enemy and all that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the comics later on, I'm not saying warmed up to it, but they tried to present other viewpoints and yes. made the character's more human and yes. uh, that's what's nice about today's writers van zant you know ennis and and lomax is uh -huh. that they really you know it's they're character driven stories yes and uh, you know the stories revolve around the, the people not just situations so you know and we haven't mentioned archie goodwin yet but goodwin oh yes blazing combat Blazing Combat, to me, is the best single comic book ever printed in the war comic genre. Mm -hmm. I mean, every story is top-notch. Mm -hmm. Goodwin wrote all of them except for one. Mm -hmm. And another one he co-wrote with uh, Alex Toth, I believe. Mm -hmm. But Wally Wood wrote one, and all the rest of them are about Archie Goodwin. And that shows, because Goodwin was a writer that you followed. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't matter what he's writing. His Iron Man stories were better than most other people's Iron Man stories. Yes. Even mm-hmm. though I don't really like Iron Man as a kid. Mm-hmm. But he wrote interesting stories. His Hulk were fantastic. Mm-hmm. His stuff for Creepy and Eerie were what made Creepy and Eerie what Creepy and Eerie were. Yeah. So, and not only that, he was an editor that if you've ever listened to people, writers work, talk about their editors, mm-hmm. not always so complimentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody, and I mean no one, not even the nastiest person you can think of, will say a bad word about Archie Goodwin. He well, was that good and that kind. Yeah, and artists liked him like Russ Heath because he would write what they would visualize themselves. Mm-hmm. So he he really wrote to the artist, you know, trying to get into their head and how mm-hmm. he wanted them to present, you know, a panel or a page or whatever. And the artist, you know, like Russ Heath would say, yeah, he he wrote it the way I wanted to see it. Yes. So, he told know, me that's, the that's same the kind story. of person Goodwin was. Heath told me pretty much the same story. He said that he did uh, little pencil drawings of the page. Oh, okay. And he says, I'm not going to pay any attention to this because this guy's a writer. He's not mm-hmm. an artist. He didn't know that Archie was not a professor. He was a cartoonist. He was not a really an, a fine artist like Heath. He said, I'm not going to pay any attention to this. I'm going to draw it the way I want to, and then I'll look at it and see how much I improved on it. Mm-hmm. He says, except for one panel, Goodwin's layouts match Russ's layouts to the T. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's how I knew that I would like working with Archie Goodwin anytime mm-hmm. he came up with a story for me. Yeah. And that was not the only time that happened. Mm-hmm. So, well, is uh, there anything we haven't covered yet? Or you're getting ready to ask something. Sorry. Yeah. So, okay. So, when you guys talk about Archie Goodwin, Blazing Combats, now, because again, that's a blind spot for me. Um, what company was Blazing Combat published? Warren. Oh, okay. That was the they when they started out. They wanted to emulate EC, and EC started out doing horror, mm-hmm. and then they did war, mm-hmm. and then they did crime. They went back to crime, mm-hmm. and they did science fiction. Yes. Well, no one in 1964 wanted to do science fiction, so that was out by automatically. Mm-hmm. Science fiction was considered the graveyard if you spent money on it and you just went into the tanker on it, mm. which is not the way it is today at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And Goodwin also had the best of the best working for him, just like EC had the best of the best artists. Same, many of all the same, same artists. Artist. Same artist in many cases. Yeah. But Frazetti did the covers. Frazetti did all four Blazing Combat covers. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Gene Colan, they had Angelo Torres, they had uh, Gray Morrow, they mm-hmm. had Wally Wood, they had Alex Toth, and John Severin, Russ Heath, Joe Orlando. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jerry Graninetti did also ghosted for Joe Orlando for a lot of those yeah. stories. Too. Yes. Ghosted the penciling, not oh, the yes. No, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, I just want to ask this question. I mean, we already touched about, you know, um, um, you know, um, let me ask you this guy's question. Let me ask you guys this question. You know, um, what other trends did you guys notice while writing this book? And let me explain a little bit more like 
for me, it's like, I don't remember seeing any stories about the Korean conflict. I remember seeing very little Vietnam stories in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, and I, and, and, you know, I know in the late 80s, they start to do Vietnam War comics, like, you know, um, what was it? Don Lomax, you know. Vietnam, Vietnam, Vietnam. Yeah. And then. Well, there were reasons for all of those. Mm-hmm. In the 50s, the Korean conflict was very much interpreted. Mm-hmm. But it was largely dropped because I think they realized that fans were forgetting about the Korean conflict and they remembered World War II. Okay. As for Vietnam, they started out, DC and Marvel both did some Vietnam stories, but the anti-war movement was so strong and they had such jingoistic storylines, DC in particular, their Vietnam stories had no relationship to what was actually going on in Vietnam. They were essentially World War II stories set in Vietnam. They had nothing to do with what was actually going on and fans were complaining about it. Mm And so they pulled all Vietnam stories out of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And Marvel didn't do any very many to begin with. Mm-hmm. Charlton kept going for quite a while. One of those was illustrated by Sam Gladsman. Uh, what was it, Shotgun Harker and the Chicken? Yes. Uh-huh. Something like that. It was actually yeah. a pretty good strip written by Joe Gill, who was a real conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, that was Charlton, and Charlton didn't buy by much of the rules because the editors really didn't look at them that much. Mm-hmm. Certainly the owners never, I don't think the owners ever read a single comic they ever put out. I don't think they ever did. Mm-hmm. And no, the we- editor had so many books, I can't believe he read them all either. That would be <laughs> such a tremendous reading job each month. Because mm-hmm. they were publishing 45, 45, 46, 47 comics a month. Mm-hmm. That's not a small thing to read. That's a lot of comics. Yeah. And especially if you're reading them with the idea of correcting stuff. That's, that doesn't yes. happen. Mm-hmm. But, I guess uh, we'll mention what? Willie Franz at this point, if you yeah. want to. Yes. Uh, he kind of actually was a lot younger than, than Sam. He was a kid when he kind of wrote to him and got in touch with him. And they connected to, you know, do the Willie Schultz stories. And, uh, Charlton, like Richard said, they weren't paying a lot of attention to what they were publishing. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was able to sneak some themes in that uh, they didn't notice for a while. Mm-hmm. Am I, is that correct, Richard? That is correct. Actually, Willie was 15 when he started writing professionally for Charlton. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm and just- uh, he was working with Sam most, almost exclusively to begin with. But he impressed the heck out of him because he wrote a story about D-Day that was 27 pages long. And they published it. Now, Charlton only did anthology war stories at that point. And very rarely were they over nine pages. Mm -hmm. Ten pages, maybe. But 27 pages was full book size. Mm -hmm. And they paid him a bonus. They liked that story so much. And have Cheapwad Charlton pay you a bonus means they really, really liked that story. (laughs) And it was about, it was told from the American viewpoint. It was told from the viewpoint of a lieutenant in a pillbox, a German lieutenant in a pillbox, looking out to sea one morning and seeing the D-Day invasion come at him. Mm-hmm. And that was all, just the first day, and he, what he did on that very first day as a German lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And it was unusual. And for a 15-year-old to come up with that, that's amazing. 
Yes. I'm just going to ask for, for our listeners. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. So Willie, Willie Schultz, that was a, one of the war comic book series. Is that correct? Yes. And then can you just give a little description of, about, you know, about this comic book series? You want to do that, Steve, or you want me to? I'll let you do this, this one, okay? Um, Willie Schultz was an American soldier, mm-hmm. German ancestry, could speak fluent German, mm-hmm. who was accused of uh, treason by a jealous subordinate. He was accused of murdering, deliberately murdering a general's son during mm-hmm. battle. And he escaped, he was sentenced to death, and he escaped his death when uh, his convoy that he was being conveyed in mm-hmm. was attacked. And mm-hmm. this is in North Africa. And he ran across a desert, and of course it's the Sahara Desert. Yeah. You're not going to run very far. Yeah. And he had no, he couldn't go back to the Americans, so he went to the Germans. He found a, a dead German, and he put his uniform on, and he went over and found himself working for the Germans for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't say he actually killed any Americans. He mm-hmm. actually stopped one potential battle by blowing up the ammo dump in a German supply camp. Mm-hmm. But he does switch back and forth in uniform numerous times during his career thereafter. Mm-hmm. And his career was taking him, obviously, towards the end of the war. And what would he do when the war ended? I mean, was he going to? He couldn't go back to the States. He couldn't go back to his parents. He'd been declared a traitor. And a murderer. Mm-hmm. But what was he going to do in Germany? Because he was also killing Germans all the time. He was there too. So mm-hmm. um, that was the conundrum of the character. And it ended early because sometime in late 1969 or early 1970, after he'd been running for about two, maybe three years at that point, a con- uh, someone influential in New York State Mm-hmm. declared himself a conscientious objector because of that comic book. His, the army, his parents, I guess, complained to the army, what the hell kind of comic book are you publishing that would make my son become a conscientious objector? Mm-hmm. And they called up Charlton and said, what the hell kind of a comic are you publishing here? And Charlton had, of course, no idea what the hell they were publishing because they never read the damn things. Mm-hmm. So they looked at it and says, oops, and cancel all of his strips and blackballed him. Blackballed Willie. They didn't blackball Sam. They needed Sam. Yeah. Willie was a teenager. So they blackballed. They fired him and blackballed him, and he, and he didn't get any comic book work for another two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they just pulled that's the, the story of both Willie point. Schultz and the Iron Corporal in a way. Yeah. He had those two series going, and he had a stand a couple of standalone stories too. He had a number of standalone stories that were really good too. Not just the D Day one, but there were uh, seventy two tons of steel was a true story, and I mm-hmm. like that one a lot. Uh-huh. Sam didn't illustrate that one, but it was really well done. Yeah. Or the Huertgen Forest one that was a good. Yep, one. that was a good one too. Mm-hmm. Yes, and there was one he did about the Marines, but I can't remember the name of it. The uh, the Korean fellow, Sanyo Kim, drew it. Hmm. And yeah. that was a good story. Yeah. Like I said, Charlton would, you know, they had a lot of mediocre stuff, but, you know, there were some things that kind of really were outstanding, but you had I to look for I think the thing yes. that most, most distinguishes 
all of the characters that we're talking about, even Jack Kirby, mm -hmm. is that their stories were for their time and often still are today, yes. subversive. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were not doing the normal thing. Mm -hmm. um, even Kaniger and Kubert's work on Enemy Ace. Yes. You've yeah. got a character who's not an American, yeah. who's a German pilot, they made sure that they never referred to him shooting down American planes. They always shut down French or Belgian or yeah. uh, British, mm -hmm. Canadian sometimes. But he didn't shoot down Americans because they didn't actually explain why he didn't shoot down Americans. They said he didn't. Mm -hmm. But here's a guy who's basically an Edgar Allan Poe character. Mm -hmm. He's melancholy to the nth degree. He's not the typical Titanic strutting around with the with a scar he has the scar yes he's yeah. not strutting around he's not wearing the mon monocle mm -hmm. he's not big and brawny he's thin mm -hmm. he yeah. looks a lot like bernie wrightson looked although bernie wrightson wasn't that age so it wasn't modeled on him but he looked <laughs> a lot like bernie wrightson mm -hmm. and bernie wrightson looked like when he was early days when he was young he looked like a poe character <laughs> yeah so here was this guy and he was he was tired of fighting. Yes, he was called names by everybody who met him. He uh -huh. had no friends that you could ever see, uh -huh. except this strange wolf that wandered in the woods wherever he landed his plane. There, that wolf would show up. That's right. Which was weird, and it yeah. took Garth Ennis to explain what the hell that wolf was all about. Uh -huh. Years and years later. Yeah, but uh, that was subversive. That guy was so melancholy that he made the Silver Surfer, who was the most melancholy character in comics, mm -hmm. look like a normal dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Enemy Ace, I mean, uh, or Hounds Von Hammer. He just, he uh, wasn't morally conflicted, but he tried to be a moral person in a war situation. Yeah. And it, it was, uh, you know, probably searching, you know, a soul searching was a lot going on. Uh, going on with the character mm -hmm. so uh you know it's tough to be a moral person in during wartime yes and i or think being that term being called the enemy you know i think that's the one we had the most difficulty with when we were writing a chapter because mm -hmm. as i mentioned in the book if you read one hans von hammer story mm -hmm. it's fantastic yeah if you read all of them there's a lot of repetition mm -hmm. And that's not, that's because it was written to be read once a month. Mm -hmm. uh, young kids who maybe had read the previous issue and maybe had not. Whereas we had to reread every single story that we talk about in here. We read all of EC. We read all of Blazing Combat. We read uh -huh. all of Enemy Ace from 1965 till late 70s. Uh -huh. No, longer than that because we read the graphic novels too. Yeah. We read all of uh, The Iron Corporal. We read... All, well, actually, we read all of Willie Franz's stories, period. At least I yeah. did. I'm pretty sure that Steve did as well. Yeah. We read all of the USS Steven stuff. We read all of Jack Kirby stuff. Mm -hmm. We read all of Don Lomax, all of uh, Garth Ennis, all of uh, Wayne Van Sant. That's mm -hmm. a lot of reading. Yes. There's a surprising amount of work there. You're talking about thousands of pages. Yeah. And we had to read them all because you can't really talk about them one of the things that struck me when I was first described as a comic historian is it scared me. Mm -hmm. 
I says, wait, if I'm considered a comic historian, that means I've got to be right all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be right once in a while. I got to be right all the time mm -hmm. or explain why I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a scary prospect. On the other hand, you can use it to your advantage. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure we're going to have, you know, our critics of this book and, and I'm sure we've made a mistake or two here and there, you know, but we've tried to be as accurate as possible. Yes. You know, uh, as factual as possible. Mm -hmm. We, we think we've covered these subjects more than anybody ever has. Yes. And, uh, you know, that'll show when you see it, you mm -hmm. know, but um, it's been a labor of love too. I mean, the, the thing we both agree on wholeheartedly is we love these comics, you know, and we love what we've read and the creators and, you know, they've influenced us uh, as, you know, to this day, they, you know, they're still influencing us. <laughs> and uh, even the old stuff, we can go back and look at it. And, and discover something we didn't see the first time we went through it. Yeah. So, you know. When I, when I say we had to reread everything, <laughs> don't get me wrong. That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. That was, oh, I love this story and I still love it today. Yeah. This is, what a great story this is. This is even better than I remember. Mm -hmm. You know, it's. One of my first, and I, and I tell about it in the book, is one of my first memories is reading the Sam Gladsman, uh, Willie Schultz story where Willie is fighting a German soldier for a piece of moldy bread because they're both starving. Mm -hmm. And I says, that scared me more than any horror story I ever read. That upset me more. Mm -hmm. I thought, this is really good stuff. And even though I didn't know who Sam Glasman really was at that time, from then on, anytime I saw Sam Glasman, and that was before USS Stevens, mm -hmm. that was what caused me to keep keep looking him up because mm -hmm. you don't get that good without. And, and it was Willie Franz too. Don't get me wrong, but Willie, of course, was frozen out for a number of years, so you didn't see new stories. Yeah. From him. Mm -hmm. And we we do want to mention Sam Glasman. Uh, I mean. He did his USS Stevens stuff, but he was also one of the longest, uh, had the longest run just about on the, the Haunted Tank for DC Comics. You know, it wasn't, you know, plus some horror stories here and there too. So, and, and, uh, but, you know, the USS Stevens is probably his premier work. You know, mm -hmm. it says more about him than anything. And same, you know, like for the, the, Joe Kubert, Robert Kaniger, yes. Enemy Ace. That was, you know, some of their best work they ever, you know, besides Sergeant Rock. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the other character is, you know, defines them just almost as much. So, and uh, Willie Schultz and, you know, that mm -hmm. Franz and Klansman did, that <laughs> defines them. I mean, each of these creators, you can go back and pull out some of their work and just go, this is outstanding stuff. Yeah. You know, this is great to read. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's not just a story to entertain, yeah. but there's a, an underlying element to it or, or a moral or something could be hit you in the face or it's just very subtle, you know. Some things that are being said there are read into it or, or visualized. That was the nice thing about us being all comic lovers is we not only can read the, the words, we can see what we're we can see what we're reading. 
So yeah. really, you know, we get to do both. We get to combine word and pictures together. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you to clarify something for me. And and like oh. I said, I I I want. I'm just asking for clarification because okay. I've read the Haunted Tank. You know, that's one of my favorite series. Correct me if I'm wrong. You said Sam Glassman wrote the Haunted Tank. No, he did the art. Yeah. Oh, he did. Oh, oh yeah. When he did the art from 1972 until it ended in 1987. Yeah, he my had a very God. long run. Oh. Yeah, when he, uh, Russ Heath quit doing it and yeah. uh, any other artist, but Glansman took over and, and yeah, you know, ran the series, you know, he did the art for the whole, you know, the rest of the series. Oh, my God. Because, because before, you know, before we started the interview, I was telling Richard, you know, Sam Glansman is a blind side for me, especially the USS Stevenson. But I didn't, I didn't put the two together. I didn't realize mm -hmm. Sam drew Haunted Tank. Yeah. Oh, my. He, we both, you know, Richard and I both agree that Glansman is, is an underappreciated, you know, war, you know, artist, you know, yeah. comic artist. He's, he's as good as any, you know, Cuberts or Heaths or Severns or Jack Davises or any of those people. You know, he's, to, to us, he ranks up there, you know, with the rest of them. But, mm -hmm. but, but he's also a great writer. Yes. And I think that's the only reason he didn't get the, uh, the, the, I can't think of the name. Recognition, maybe. Rec but he was supposed to get the prize for underrated writer. Yeah. And he couldn't, and the only way you can get it is if you attend the mm -hmm. Comic Con. Mm -hmm. you know? And he didn't get it because he was too ill to make the trip. He was supposed to go, but he was too ill. Yeah. And so he didn't get the recognition when he needed it right there towards the end, just before uh, USS Stevens came out. Mm -hmm. The collection. Yeah. So it would have been a big, I think, help yeah. for yeah. him. He, he but, did do some stories for the uh, Joe Kubert Presents, those, those issues that, uh, uh, you know, some, some were kind of rewritten Stevens stories mm -hmm. and some was new material also. But uh, that was collected, you know, along with the other, you know, contents of the Joe Kubert Presents. But there were only six issues and that's, that's a good collection also. But those stories are also in the USS Stephen collection, too. Yes, yes. I, I would say buy both because you get a lot of really cool Joe Kubert stuff in the Joe Kubert Presents, plus Sam. Mm -hmm. But you get all the Stephen stories in the collection, and that's the one you really... If you get that and the uh, A Sailor's Story collection, you've gotten some of the best, you know, Glansman stuff you'll ever see. Okay. And there's still a chance that the uh, Lonely War of Willie Schultz will come into print. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm hearing good things that Dark Horse has apparently oh, okay. uh, connected themselves with the current effort to get it printed. Mm -hmm. I've seen the whole book. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think Steve has too, with oh, Wayne yeah. Van Zandt completing the artwork because, of course, Sam's passed away. Yeah, I've seen the, the PDF version. Yes. Uh, one thing I do want to, as a side note here, uh, mm -hmm. for Dell Comics, uh, Glansman illustrated all the 
the combat and uh, air war stories and world war stories issues uh, that were, a lot of them were written by Paul S. Newman, but, uh, you know. Actually, I just discovered who wrote the first four issues, and I included that at the very last minute. That's true. I hope it makes it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we have now the complete credits for combat, which we did not have before, except for one instance. I'm not certain who wrote Mm -hmm. Air War Stories, also wrote issue five or six Mm -hmm. of combat. That's but. Those are kind of underappreciated uh, comics, too. You know? I think they're largely unknown, and that's strange because they're excellent stories. Oh, yes. Really yeah. good ones. Mm-hmm. Richard and Stephen, I'm going to slowly start wrapping up because I, I, because I just want to respect your time. Well, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, but thank you very much for your time. I mean, this is... hope we've covered everything you were asking or wanted to know. Or, I'm going to well, say... This is great. It is. Well, let me show. Oh, go ahead. There was one thing. Uh Uh-huh. You would ask if we had favorite stories, and we actually both included a list of our favorite stories (laughs) in the book. Okay. All right. And it is 45 from each of us, so it's not a short little list. It's a long list. I can't can't pick the the best one because there's too many good stories. That's exactly right. I, we start off with, I think, what, 30 we were starting off with, and we kept increasing it by fives every other See, time we looked at it. That's the trouble. We start pulling these comics to look at again and going, oh, wow, here's this. Oh, here's that one. You oh, know, yeah. and then, we, you know, by company, you start pulling the DC, and then you start doing the current, you know, uh, Don Lomax stuff, and all of a sudden you're going, holy cow, you got ECs, you got the DC, you got the Marvel, you got Dell, you know, Charlton, you know, Warren, uh, you know, current stuff, you know, Van Zant and, mm-hmm. and Lomax and, and Ennis. And, you know, people, superhero comics are probably, you know, what everyone always is, that's popular. Yes. But the war comics, you know, are probably underrated and underappreciated, but there's a, a growing fan base for them you know that's pretty you know i don't want to say rabid <laughs> but you know but they appreciate you know they're they can see that there's so many good good stories there and good artists yes. that we have tried to touch on in this book the ones that are the most influential so i'm going to toot our own horn here and just say this is a book that yeah there's been other books before that might have something about war comics and stuff but i think we're the ones that have done the the first one that uh, really you know covers this this subject and like i said we have enough material for a second book so if you're listening out there hint hint you know, we'd love we hope that someday we'll be able to present that material too because there's a whole lot more to tell mm-hmm. okay so and, mm-hmm, yes richard I would like to, he said everything I want to say about our book itself, but you asked if we had favorite stories Mm -hmm. and besides, I have one favorite story that I really wanted to mention. It's outside the purview of this book and it's a story called Dirty Job. Mm, Written by Bob Haney and illustrated by Alex Toth. Mm -hmm. It's four pages long. And if you're thinking about it's in the same category as the USS Stevens stuff, it's four pages. That packs one hell of a wallop if you read mm-hmm. it. And I can't tell you anything more about it than that. 
because I'll destroy the, the, the story if I do. Well, and in the sense that re- make, I remember a story now also outside the purview of war comics is in the first issue of Impact from EC is the Master Race story illustrated by Bernie Craigstein. You know, which, and, which is in the book. Yeah, it's in the book. but uh, Does it pervade to the book, but it's in the book because we needed to talk about it. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's one of those stories that when you see it and read it, you go, wow. This is a masterpiece. And it is. And unlike most stories, would have to be printed in color or printed in black and white, and they look best one way or the other. You can get something new um, on that particular story, whether if you see it in black and white, it shows you something you didn't see before in the color. Mm-hmm. You see it in color, you yeah. will see something that you didn't have the opportunity to fully understand in the black and white. It's that good. Okay. Yeah. And beautifully drawn, beautifully drawn. Yeah. We hope this book will lead to, uh, you know, people seeking these comics and other books and collections and, you know, creating an interest. I mean, maybe they'll find something that they didn't know they would like till they, they, you know, go and look. Mm-hmm. So. And I would like to emphasize that this is the first book length examination of American war comics. Yes. And Jason, nobody's done it before, and that means yes, we're on the spot for every mistake that we make. And I understand <laughs> it's for every, every opinion that someone says, Well, I don't like that opinion, yeah, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Write your own book because that's what we're actively asking people to do. Yeah, if you don't like it, get off your butt and write your own book because yeah. I'm sure you'll do a good job too. Mm-hmm. But the more interest we get in this, the better yeah. it is for the field as a whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Not just, uh, what. I'm sure we'll both be writing John Morrow tomorrow and saying thank you. And Jason, I want to say thank you. You know, we really appreciate you contacting us, you know, and and letting us talk about this book. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the talk myself, and I also thank you. And, yes, I'll be sending a note to John tomorrow, too, saying it went really really well and um, how much I enjoy talking to you. We, we hope we have we you know answered all your questions is there anything you you haven't asked yet there is one more question before you oh, okay. a couple of fun questions because I know Sam um, Stephen um, Stephen you met Sam Glasman mm-hmm. Richard before we started you said something up because I because I Stephen I want to I want to ask you about this too um, or if you have a anecdote of meeting one of the uh, war comic creators but Richard you said that you have a very good Joe Kubert anecdote story is that correct yeah I like I mentioned I interviewed Joe mm-hmm. about his editorial ship not his actual s- storytelling but he was an editor for a long time and so I took that slant when I interviewed him yes. and it ran an alter ego and one of the things he, uh, he just finished a book called Dom Z, I believe it's called. I, I, I don't pronounce Vietnamese very well, so mm-hmm. I'm not certain if that's the correct, but it's D-O-N-G-X-I. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that takes place before we were fully invested in the Vietnam War. We had advisors over there. And it's a, he, and he was, we were going to talk about that. And as he started to talk about it, I said, well, you've actually addressed this same story twice, right? Because you did it in Medal of Honor. 
mm-hmm. which was a dark horse book. And he, and he stopped for a second and he said, how the hell did you know that? And I said, well, I, I read war comics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from then on, we got along great. There was no hesitation about answering anything because he realized I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. He didn't ever expect anybody make the connection between a short story that he did 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier, and the book that he was now putting out. Mm-hmm. And I think he was startled by it. Mm-hmm. And I think he kind of liked being startled. And that's a sign of a good person to talk to. Yes. A person who can be startled and still go on and keep going. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think he liked it too. And over to Steve, and if he's got a story like that. Oh, okay. Well, I said meeting, you get to meet your heroes when you start going to conventions and stuff. And, yes. uh, you know, I just, this is, you know, a couple of things that come to mind is big five dinners is, you know, we might be somewhere, you know, eating pizza and sitting next to you is Russ Heath, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, or I'd be at, an, we we're at another dinner and Russ Heath is sitting there and John Severn is across from you. And they're talking about who's, who's more accurate on their, you know, details when it comes to a, a tiger tank or an airplane or something. So they're, they're debating, but you know, Richard and I both have, you know, gotten to be friends with Sam's widow or, you know, uh, uh, Sue Glansman. And, you know, she always asks, you know, she'll ask me about Richard and I'm sure if she talks to Richard, you know, she'll say, tell him, you know, say hi, Steve. (laughs) But, you know, she's a very nice lady, very sweet lady. I've been to her, you know, got lucky, went to her house a couple of, you know, been there a couple of times. And, uh, you know, just the people you get to meet, you know, through all of what, you know, collecting and writing and what we do. I mean, we've gotten, you know, be able to be in touch with these pro artists and writers and, and people like Roy Thomas and, and fandom and, and things like that, you know, and, you know, I've, you know, through comics and, paperback books and magazines and movies and all that it's just you know the world has expanded for me because of you know all of this mm-hmm. i look back and go could i have just been just a an ordinary person who, <laughs> who you know went to work every day and and you know and and only watched a few tv shows and and you know just ate nachos and watched football all the time you know i i there's more to life than just that you know what i mean and we get to meet people like you, Jason, and we appreciate it. And one last thing. I mean, this, this, this has been fun. Plus, we're not done yet. You know, we're, there's more for us to do together. So. Mm-hmm. And one last thing I'd like to point out is that the guy who wrote the introduction for our book is Roy Thomas. Yes. Who is my editor and has been for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I know you've met him. Yes. But... He wrote the introduction, even though he's written more comics. Oh, sorry about that. (laughs) He's written war comics. He wrote Sergeant Fury for a while, but he doesn't like war comics. And he wrote the intro for us anyway, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really nice. And the other person who wrote the, uh, wrote for us for an opening state was Willie Franz, who was ill at the time that he wrote it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his health just isn't good. And he still came through with an excellent introduction. 
So I'd like to thank both of them personally too. Yeah, and and John Morrow too for just you know looking at this book and thinking it's very publishable. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know we appreciate that, and you know just you know the the community of you know people that are going to be listening to this too. We hope uh, you've learned something, and I uh, hope they'll uh, you know want this book. Yes. You know. Yes, buy this book and make us both happy. Yes. And I was going to say, Jason, I like your T-shirt there. Is there going to be another Maui Comic Con someday? Um, I'm going to say after, hopefully, when COVID's done and everything and mandates are lifted, I would say yes, because Maui Comic Con, they're itching to go. Yeah. Yeah, I remember well, saying if, if they do, send I'm us both ahead. emails about it so that we yeah. can – Think about going, even if we can't. So. Yeah, I remember an episode of Hawaii Five O where there was a a, a, a comic convention as part of the storyline. So <laughs> that from several years ago. Okay, oh well, no, I got to. I have to look for that episode. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, it took. It takes place at the uh, like one of the questions you asked me: Have I ever been to Hawaii? Yes. And I wrote you back. Yeah, we stayed at the you know, Hilton Hawaiian Village. And I believe you would see that in some several episodes of, you know, the, the Hawaii Five O. There was by the poolside or something, you know, mm -hmm. talking to somebody. But they always use that, you know, the rainbow tower there is some backdrop. But uh, yeah, I, I remember that comic convention being at, you know, one of the buildings there mm -hmm. on, the, on those grounds. So, and I got a question for you. I cannot remember the name of the restaurant that was across the street from the Hilton, but they had the best pancakes. <laughs> I'm going to say it because when you wrote that, I'm going to say it was, if I remember the, I'm hopefully I'm pronouncing it correctly. The Waiau Coffee House. I think like that, a small little, it's kind of like a diner type deal. Yeah. But yes. I remember a, an episode of Hawaii Five O. That McGarrett, they were in there, you know, and, and just eating breakfast talking. So I remember that. <laughs> but anyway, that's just a sidelight here. No, actually, um, because that, 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 is, that was one of the landmark um, restaurants in Hawaii. Unfortunately, okay. I think five years ago, they closed down. Oh. Just on, it was on, because, of course, you know, the, um, they, they were very, you know, they were still you know, they're still making business and so forth, but it's just the cost of everything going up. They just couldn't, oh, yeah. Stay, you know, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we are jealous that you live in Hawaii. But <laughs> <laughs> I know what things cost there too. So, <laughs> But uh, Richard and I both appreciate you getting in touch with us. No, thank so, you. Yes. No, so thank Very you. Very much so. Actually, before, no, before I wrap up, because a couple Questions one to um, Steve. Steve, how did you and your wife, how did you guys like Hawaii? Oh, love it. Love it. We've only been there twice, but, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Maui and Lahaina, we love that. I even did the drove to Hana. Oh, so, yes. that's interesting. I'm going to say it, it's good that you're able to do it at that time because within the last two years, you know, because of, you know, cliffside erosions, there's like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful drive, but it's something that she got to see a lot more than I, because yes. I was doing the driving. 
and there's yeah. a lot of twists and turns. Yeah. But yeah, Hawaii is a beautiful, you know, I would love to come back someday. So. And now to you, Richard, have you, have you and your family, have you guys been to um, Hawaii? No, I'm sorry. I have, none of my family has, but when I haven't, but I would love to go someday. Oh, okay. That's why I'm hoping that they'll open up that, that little Maui convention on your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing too, I'm going to let you guys know too, that um, because um, um, I'm just going to try to make this quick is that within the last five years, comic book conventions have started to pop up here in the islands because before yeah. that it was far and few between. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like, um, I think probably within the next two years, um, amazing comic con will hold their comic book conventions again here on Oahu mm -hmm. comic con Honolulu. Um, that's where I was. I met Roy Thomas. Uh -huh. We've been doing it for, I think the last five years. So when things start opening up again, they're going to re you know, you know, start that up again. Of course, we got the Maui Comic Con. That's a nice little homegrown um, grassroots type of um, comic book convention. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and then I know on the Big Island, they have their comic book convention there too as well in this September. So, yeah. Well, so maybe if we're lucky, we'll have a second printing of the book. We'll have to come to Hawaii to promote oh. it. <laughs> oh, yes. Our next book. You never know. <laughs> All right. Um, Again, I'm going to ask, I'm going to start wrapping this up. Again, if you guys don't mind, can you guys promote your, um, where can people, where can listeners find you on social media? Uh, Facebook. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's about, you know, Facebook for me one. too. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So. But uh, I know the book, you can buy it through Amazon mm -hmm. or the Tomorrow's site, mm -hmm. or if they'll contact uh, their, you know, bookshops, comic shops mm -hmm. and, and ask. You know, yeah. cheap graphic novels has it on, on for sale too, uh, for coming out on the 19th. Okay. That's where I got that date from. Yeah. And um, Marvel Masterworks also has it listed for sale. Oh, so there are online stores that are doing it right now. Yes, and, and hopefully, and Bud Plant. Well, I can't forget Bud Plant will yeah, be. Yeah, Bud Plant. Yep. He, he, uh, right now, he's, I'm not going to say how many copies but he told me he's you know going to be selling a bunch of them so bud plant art books is a great website mm -hmm. yeah and it's got everything you ever dreamed of possibly obtaining mm -hmm. oh okay i gotta remember have you looked at it before look at it because others are cheaper mm -hmm. or maybe cheaper but if you want real stuff yes and the really cool stuff bud plants the place to go okay yeah he does, uh, there'll be sign-in plates, that sort of thing, that you get the autographs and a little tucked away inside the book. Yes. Um, there's books that you never see anymore. He's got old stuff that's still as new. Mm -hmm. That's the cool stuff, is that you can find something that you've wanted to buy for years, you couldn't afford it in 1975, mm -hmm. and here it is, and it hasn't been opened. Yeah. Or you'll see something you didn't know you wanted, and then you realize, oh, I got to get this. <laughs> all the time I, he, I get his catalog and I go through his, his weekly announcements and I'm going man I wish I had more money <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because so, there are some really neat stuff all the time it's rare that you pick up a bud plant uh, announcement uh, 
email announcement or you pick up a catalog and say, boy, that looks good. Well, Jason, we hope we pointed you and maybe some of the listeners into exploring some books and directions that you hadn't thought of before. Yes. So, you know, uh, anyway, anything else you want to ask us? Last question. Any last words to our listeners? Uh, Richard, why don't you go ahead? Happy to be talking to people in Hawaii for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, I hope you enjoy the book if you do get it. And feel free to make online comments or spread the news about it if you feel you do like it, because that's the only real way you can get people to read stuff nowadays. Yeah. I mean, just having advertisements that are in the trade papers doesn't do much for the book. Mm-hmm. It, it takes word of mouth, and that's that's an important thing. And word of mouth means I like this book, and you should buy it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell your friends. Exactly. But also, and I'll add too that you know we uh, you know appreciate you, Jason, and also for you listeners out there, support your comic shops and your your the bookstores and uh, the online places where you can buy this book. And we'd like for you, of course, to buy this book. And uh, we think you'll learn something. And you'll see some things you possibly didn't know you wanted to learn. But also, uh, you know, find other, you know, there'll be other, you know, there's a lot more stuff to learn about, you know, these creators that you're going to be reading about. It's not just buy our book. It's buy their books, too, because they have a lot of them. and, And they're very good books. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to be disappointed reading anybody we've recommended you to read. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the, you know, read the EC reprint, you know, of Two Fisted Tales and, 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 uh, Frontline Combat or, you know, the Garth Ennis stuff or Wayne Van Zandt's Katusha or Don Lomax's Vietnam Journal. I mean, there's, there's so much good stuff, you know, found. You know, and if you people. can't afford it, go to your public library and check their lend, yes. lending oh, yeah. procedures. Yes. Yeah. Because you can often get the book. Maybe it's not in your local library, but they can get the book from a, from somebody in their lending procedure. Yeah, and so I'll mention this. Look at too. Tomorrow's also sells digital copies of their books. So if you can't buy the physical book, you can get the digital one. So anyway, that's all I have to say. That Richard. pretty much does it for me too. So thank you. No, Richard and Steven, you know, I wish you guys all the success for your new book. You know, again, Richard and Steven, you know, mahalo. Just thank you for your time. You well, know, mahalo to you too. It, it's mahalo been also. You know, it, it was an honor, you know, talking to you guys. I'm, I'm waving my thumb and little finger. <laughs> Shock a sign. Yes. <laughs> um, and also, you know, if you are a new reader to comics or a lifelong, you know, comic book fan, please check out our artists at war, the best of the best American war comic books from tomorrow's publishing. It comes out on October 19th. The diamond code is J U L two one two zero six five. And if you're, if you're not too sure, um, go to the tomorrow's um, website, um, there's a pre there's there's preview copies of you know a few pages from the book to check that out. So I encourage you guys to do that. 
Yeah. And don't forget the two morrows is spelled T-W-O morrows. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. That makes a big difference when you're looking it up online. Thank you for thank yeah. you, Richard. Yes, that's yes. Plus, I'll say that tomorrow's ours is a great is going to be a great book. We think, but he publishes so many other great books and magazines. So I want to say, John Marlow does a great job. He has a John Severin book coming out a few oh, months yeah. after ours, and I'm looking very much to buying that book. <laughs> See. I not only we not only write books, we find books that we want to read. So <laughs> I also want to give a big mahalo to John Morrow for helping setting up this interview. So John, thank you very much. Yes, thank yes, you. Yes, thank you, John. And then, you know, I want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. And Drew, thank you for all your hard work behind the scenes. If you are a new listener to the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast, please check out new episodes that comes out every Saturday. And lastly, I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Aloha to YouTube, Jason. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.